you are listening to the Curse of Oak Island and Beyond live stream. I am your host, Jeff Freeman, and right over here we have my co-host, Jack Campbell. And Good afternoon, Jeff. Good afternoon, and today we have our very, very special guest, Tony Sampson. Welcome, Tony. Thank you for coming. Hi there, guys. How's it going? It's going very well. Tony, you know, we've been looking forward to this for quite a long time. Uh, I know we've had you on the schedule to come on the show for a while, and people are getting very excited about coming here today, and we've got pretty good crowd showing up already, it looks like. Um, and I wanted to say, you know, one of the things that's so great about, you know, uh, you as, you know, with this is that you not only have joined our group, um, but you also interact with everybody. Um, I've seen you show up at several of the shows and you've commented to people saying hi to everyone. I got to tell you, that is just wonderful. And we really appreciate that so much. And I know that our members do as well. So well, thank you. you know what, Jeff, honestly, it's, um, it's people uh, taking um, ownership of this and, and getting out there and wanting to know more about history and Oak Island as well. And so it really is. It's the viewers and um, and the tourists and the guests that come here that, that make this um, so special. Yeah, absolutely. And there's such an enthusiasm for, you know, not only Oak Island, but the, in, and I think, you know, at least for me, and I know that with a lot of people that they're very interested in knowing the whole story, like you just said, the mystery of Oak Island, you know, uh, we've talked about it in the past that, you know, we'd love for them to find a great treasure, but it's that story behind that treasure or the behind who was there on the Island. Like Rick is so passionate about, and I believe, you know, you are as well. So, um, but it's great to see you interacting with everybody in our group. And we really, really appreciate we, it. We really appreciate it. Tony. My pleasure. Yeah, that's great. So, you know, a little bit about you, Tony. I know that um, in your in your past, uh, you've done quite a few different things. You're originally from England, I guess, right? Born there? Yeah. And um, Yeah, so uh, um, born in England and went to school there. And then my family immigrated to New Zealand. And oh, wow. so I worked down there and then around the Pacific and then went back to the UK and ended up here in Canada. <laughs> yeah, I guess there's quite a story about how you got to Canada too. Uh, <laughs> that I've, uh, I've actually listened to some of your other shows and, uh, you know, very, very good stuff that's uh, come up on that. But I know you have an interesting story about how you got to Nova Scotia, right? Yes, I was minding my own business, really, sort of wandering around Vancouver. And um, my wife is from here. And um, it's, uh, you, you ever heard of a press gang? A press gang? Yeah. No? It's oh. not a gang of journalists that go out on a Friday night. <laughs> That's what I was thinking at first. No, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. It's an old Navy term, you know. And oh. so they couldn't get recruits for the Navy in the old days. So they would send the press gang ashore and they would hang out at the bars and they would literally club guys over the head and drag them back to the ship. And you oh, woke boy. up, congratulations, sailor in the Navy. Yeah. Well, so my wife, she banged me over the head and dragged me back here to Nova Scotia with bricks <laughs> and treasure. So here I am. Oh, that's fantastic. That's a wonderful story. So, uh, yeah, that's great. And I know that uh, over the years you've done, you know, quite a few different things. You know, like I said, you were in the military, I, I, I'm, I'm told. So uh, I was, too. I was in the United States Navy. So welcome for your, or thank you for your service there. Um, also, you were a policeman, I guess, for a while, too, right? Yep, um, I did 12 years as, um, or 11 years, something in the police force. Mm. So that was in New Zealand. And um, it, was, it was a marvelous time. I made lifelong friends um, through that job. I mean, it's not an easy job, but um, the camaraderie there, it really is. It's, uh, you, your mates are, are there for life. 
right? So you do uh you're an EMS also in Nova Scotia now, right? Correct? Um, I was a paramedic, yeah, and uh, I did um, 11 years there as well, Jack, that's true, and so only left um, full-time paramedicine two years ago when I set up Salty Dog um, Sea Tours. Wow. And yeah, so great. the reason, obviously, is doing shift work and that I never had time, and so now I get to live my dream and tell people about shipwrecks and treasure um, for a job, which is fantastic. Yeah. And speaking of shipwrecks, I know we've had, you know, several people, uh, several um, folks, our members uh, were looking, had some questions about that. And I know that Jack has a couple. Um, so there's quite a few shipwrecks around uh, the Mahone Bay and beyond. Is that it? Well, with Nova Scotia, you see, because of the violent storms, the North Atlantic storms here. And, um, you know, in the, in the days prior to um, uh, longitude, all they had when the, the sailors were coming down was their um, their bearing taken or their um, with the sextant at lunchtime mm-hmm. or at 12 o'clock would give them the latitude where they were but not the longitude. To have longitude, you need a time and distance. So if you ever get a chance, there's a marvelous book actually called Longitude. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and if you're ever in England, you can go to the, the time um, uh, in Greenwich, the time museum there and see the original clocks that Harrison made. Oh wow! So with that, they could they would know where they were as far as latitude was, but not longitude. So so many ships literally bumped into the coast of Nova Scotia. Oh wow! And um and also Sable Island off the coast here. Mm-hmm. So nobody really knows how many shipwrecks we have here. Wow! So some people say five thousand, some say ten thousand, and oh others say no, there's yeah you know, upwards of twenty five thousand because on top of the the wrecks that we know about, the known shipwrecks, mm-hmm. you have all the pirates, the privateers, the rum runners in the foreign navies that didn't want you to know they were here. Right, yeah. So no, we literally have shipwrecks <laughs> on top of shipwrecks here. That's amazing. So, yeah, and, and as an example of that, we were diving in Halifax Harbor a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And, um, there's another documentary, a CBC documentary, actually called um, Halifax Underwater. Really? I'm going to jot yeah. that down. I'm going to check into that. Yeah, it's it's actually awesome, Jeff. If you if you see it, and it, um, my buddy Bob Chalk, uh, my diving buddy, uh, he was doing that one with me, and it's how you can date a harbor by the artifacts and the relics on the bottom of the harbor. Oh, really? And so we were looking around at a shipwreck there um, from the World War Two, mm-hmm. and you know you're seeing the iron and the steel and and um, ammunition that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you know we start finding timber. And musket balls and cannonballs. Oh, wow. So literally shipwrecks yeah. on top of shipwrecks here in the harbor. That's amazing. Yeah. So, so they are everywhere. Yeah. So when when you find a shipwreck like that, I mean, nowadays I'm sure that there's it, it may depend on how far out it is, and and maybe you know have you explain that to us. But has how has that changed over the years? But if you were finding something years ago. Uh, a shipwreck years ago, maybe you were allowed to actually touch anything. I know now it's like you can look, but you can't touch or something like that. Is that right? Yeah. In the old days, it was, it was pretty much finders keepers. Mm-hmm. And so um, if you look you know, back in the seventies, guys like Keith Jessup in the, um, in the Orkney islands, mm-hmm. you know, they were salvaging a lot of the old world war two wrecks for the non-ferrous metals. So right. the copper and the brass and all that sort of stuff. And mm-hmm. that's how they got their, their start in salvage. So that was fair game back in those days. Right. And even there's a, a shipwreck off the coast here, one of my favorite shipwrecks, in fact. 
and she was a white star line, same as the Titanic. Mm -hmm. And um, she was called the SS Atlantic. And she was blown and salvaged for the non-ferrous metals in the 70s as well. But the beauty of her was she was um, a sister ship to the Titanic. She predated oh, wow. the Titanic oh, wow. uh, by 40 years. So she sank on April Fool's Day, 1873. On April Fool's Day, wow. Yeah. And so that happened. You've got to remember, like April Fool's Day here, the water is still freezing cold. Oh, I can imagine. So of the near 1,000 people on board, um, the survivors managed to survive because of the bravery of the locals who came to help them. Wow. And also the quartermaster who jumped into the water, freezing cold water with a line and got it to shore. So wow. 400 and something people survived that wreck. But alas, no women and no children. Really? And, um, from, what, from what I understand about that, all the women and children perished because they were at the back of the boat. Is that correct? That's correct, Jack, yes. So that was the comfortable area. So the single women, the married men and the children were in the stern quarters of the ship. So as she rode up onto Golden Rule Rock and came to rest, the stern section was below the waves. So those freezing cold waters came flooding into that compartment. And so their last breaths were literally snatched away by that icy cold water. Mm. And so they were the first casualties of, of the wreck of the Atlantic. And wow. not many people remember her because she was such a tragedy. And um, with yeah, that, I, I had not, I had not known. Mm -hmm. Well, she, she's only, she starts in eight feet of water. So it's snorkeling depth. Oh, wow. So you can snorkel it, and then she goes down to 80 feet on the bottom there. Wow. And every year, the violent North Atlantic storms turn up different parts and debris, you know, different artifacts and that are turned up every year by these violent storms. So the beautiful thing is we'll dive her again in um, in beginning of April, almost on the oh, anniversary really? of her wrecking. If the weather here um, <laughs> cooperate, cooperate. <laughs> yeah. at the moment outside my house here in the bay, there's ice on the water. So, yeah, uh, that's, that'd be a little tough diving that right there. But yeah, by April, you would think that. Uh, uh, I know here in the uh, pencil in Western Pennsylvania, um, it's hope you can hope that it's warming up at that point. But you're quite a bit further north, and I know that in Northern Michigan, where I'm from originally, uh, the UP of Michigan, it's still pretty cold in April. <laughs> So you could, yeah, and you never know what you're going to get. So, like you said, it could be, uh, could be nice, it could be bad. But you have gear for that, right? You, you've oh, got gear that definitely, Jeff. Yeah, like so, I'm in a dry suit, and then um, we have you know tricky little things we can do to keep us warm inside the dry suit. Mm -hmm. um, if you're on a surface supply or umbilical, you can actually have a hot hot water um, pumped mm -hmm. through your suit mm -hmm. to keep you warm. Or if you're on scuba out here, you can actually have a heated undergarment under your suit. Wow. To keep you warm. And then things like heated insoles in your boots. Um, mm. And obviously, under your suit, the dry suit itself is almost like a snowmobile suit. You must be familiar with those. Oh, so, I am. Oh, yeah. I'm snowmobiling here just last <laughs> weekend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we have one of those under the suit. Oh, and wow. then we can play with the gases that we use inside the suit as well. So instead of filling our suit with compressed air as we descend and the compression on the suit increases. Mm. For every 33 feet you go down, it's another atmosphere of pressure. Oh, wow. So you know, if you're at 100 feet, you've got four atmospheres of pressure acting on you. So it's, again, it's, um, they called it in the old days, the law of martinis or the law of scotch. 
So for each 33 feet you go down, it's like having a shot. So oh, it, really? wow. you're functioning as if you've had four shots. And that's nitrogen narcosis that does that to you. Mm -hmm. So it's that, um, that drunk effect, the, um, the nitrogen causes that. Right. And that could be, you know, be very incapacitating at some point too. I mean, if you're not uh, familiar with that, I would imagine. And that's why we play with our gases as well. Because mm -hmm. that doesn't happen. Yeah. So when, we, when we're diving um, to avoid the uh, effects of nitrogen narcosis, we blend our gases. So I, I mix my own breathing gases. So I might um, say at 100 feet, I might uh, be using a, a, a 36 or, um, percentage of O2 in my breathing mix. So I take nitrogen out and add higher O2, mm -hmm. so, which is a twofold thing because then I reduce the nitrogen narcosis, the drunk effect on the bottom. But then I also um, have longer time on the bottom by having the extra O2 instead of the nitrogen. Tony, what is your average time on the bottom when you do a dive like that? It all depends on the depth, Jack. So um, if you look at, say, 60 feet, um, your bottom time just on air might be, um, say, for argument's sake, say it's 46, 48 minutes. But um, if you uh, run a hotter mix, so instead of running air at 21%, mm -hmm. you know, if, if you go up to, say, 45 50%, you, know, you can have 120 minutes on the bottom. Wow. Yeah, that was one of our one of our members, Aaron McCutcheon, was asking that question about how long you could stay down, and like you said, it just depends on the situation. Yeah. So on, if you look at air, for example, um, so at 140 feet on air, mm -hmm. your no decompression limits about eight minutes, nine minutes, and and so by playing with the mix, though, um, either by using um, a high row two mix or using trimix, which is taking the nitrogen up and using helium, mm -hmm. then you can elongate your time. You know, quite, quite substantially right now i know that uh you know speaking of all this diving and you know it's fascinating i would love to i have been diving once and my experience was actually uh overseas and it was uh uh in a foreign country where they were just like okay here's what we're gonna do we're gonna throw these suits on we're gonna throw you in the water and we're gonna swim around a little bit you know and there was a guy there kind of working with us but i mean it was so you know, there was that factor where you, you really could die at any time because these guys were not taking us through a school, but I still had a wonderful time. And I thought, man, this was, this is definitely something that I would love to do on a regular basis is go diving. It's just fascinating. And being able to see the, you know, the, the uh, water life and everything down there, it's just, it's fascinating. So, but when going back to your to your beginnings on this when did you first start getting you know excited about or learning about diving when did this all come about for you oh i was six years old and my mother bought me a book called treasures beneath the sea ah okay and there was a line in that and it was um in all the um in all the banks and all the vaults in all the world there's not as much gold jewels and treasure as there is on the bottom of the ocean oh that hooked oh, you right I, there. I was on, you know, from that moment on i was going to be a diver and a treasure hunter wow so when did you actually get started diving um i would have been uh, 16 17 years old when i started okay. diving. and um so from there mainly it wasn't treasure well it was treasure of some sort it was diving for scallops and um mm -hmm. diving for crayfish or, or lobster as they're called up here mm -hmm. and so we were allowed six a day on scuba uh, okay. obviously in nova scotia we're not allowed to take lobster on scuba but rules change in different parts of the world you can do right things. right where was that was that new zealand where you were uh, at? that was down in new zealand yes. okay all right fascinating yeah. so it's a little bit 
warmer down there too. <laughs> yeah, much warmer. I would imagine it right yeah. now. Wow. Um, in the North Island of New Zealand, that's right, Jack. But um, down the bottom of the South Island of New Zealand, so round about Stewart Island, you've got to remember that is cold water down there. So, in fact, a couple of years ago, I was down for a buddy's wedding in Dunedin. And um, it was my mate Paul, actually. He was in the police force with me. And um, at the time, that was in January, we were down there. And there was an iceberg floating off the coast that had broken free from Antarctica. So, wow. That's cold. Yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah, just cold down there. <laughs> And those, those could be dangerous too, but I've seen pictures where people have dove, you know, around uh, 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 icebergs and stuff like that and seen the underside. You know, we see this little peak sticking up above the water, but then you look what's underwater and it's just huge, huge. Oh, uh, it's it, it truly is beautiful, Jeff. And, and um, the icebergs off the coast of Newfoundland, well, obviously the Titanic hit one, but, you know, they are just spectacular. You know, they really are. Oh, I can't imagine that would that would be really, really be interesting to be able to do that. And and of course, we you know we watch you uh, diving on Oak Island quite a bit. We'll get to that as we go along here. Um, you know, so when you've when you've gone to these different shipwrecks or just you're diving around the general area besides Oak Island, what what are some of your most memorable dives that you've had? Things that you've looked for, or you know, going on any kind of a mission where you might be trying to you know help somebody or you know describe to us some, some of the more more memorable dives that you've had well it, again it's different um different things um excite you for different reasons mm -hmm. so um on the west coast of uh canada on vancouver island over there hornby island's the name um in february march the stellar sea lions are all on the rocks there and so for large animal interaction, that is amazing. You have these 1,200-pound really? sea lions just coming around playing with you. So they'll pull your arm and pull the regulator out of your mouth. And <laughs> my buddy Elwyn actually took a photo of me um, she, uh, as a female. She's got my whole head in her mouth, and she's just squeezing. So. <laughs> Not harmful, though, right? I mean, no, no. They're, just, they're almost like playful puppies, you know. Yeah. Um, that's hilarious that's a big it's a big puppy it's yeah. a big playful puppy jack you're right yeah it's, it's 1200 pounds and um so it's, it's probably amazing how they move through the water with such ease mm -hmm. so graceful yeah and so that's you know that was an experience there um cage diving with the great white sharks of hunts mm -hmm. yeah Africa. i don't think i could do that so it's you know i mean people are you know the sharks are the you know, it's such an emotive. As soon as you say shark, it's so emotive. Mm -hmm, it is. <laughs> you know, some people are like, oh, my God, there's sharks. But if you've been in the ocean, chances are you've been close to a shark. Mm -hmm. You know, so we're not necessarily always on their, on their menu, but they're always there. And, I mean, even in Nova Scotia here, you know, with the cold water, we don't have the sharks out here at the moment apart from the Greenland shark further up. But in the summer here, we have um, mako sharks, we have poor beagle sharks, we have blue sharks, we have a lot of great white sharks up here as well. Wow. And so, you know, people don't realize that, but, you know, this is shark central up here. I would imagine. And so when you see, like, you guys diving just off the, just outside of Oak Island around the, the area there, that's something that you would be, uh, you could be, you have to be concerned about even then, right? I, I mean... Would yes, they come up? I mean, there is sharks around, yeah, definitely. And I uh -huh. mean, they come. See, that's something I never thought about watching the show. It's like, oh, there's sharks in the area where they, you know, or could be potentially. 
Yeah, but I mean, realistically, you've got more chance of getting run over by a car than you have of being by a shark. <laughs> yeah. But then, you know, other people say, well, you know, cars aren't in the ocean, but the sharks yeah. are. <laughs> and Charles Markhouse, actually, from the island, he's he's got a great saying. He's actually got a deal with the sharks. And that is they don't come on land, he doesn't go in the water. So. Ah. Tony, what's the deepest that you've ever dived? Uh, 256 feet. Oh, wow. And that was off the coast of Vancouver there. We were, I was, I was with another mate of mine, and we were actually looking for stubby squid, so these little tiny squid. And so um, we actually we found some down at that depth, and then afterwards I thought that was a deep dive <laughs> to see a stubby squid. <laughs> It had to be. And you were talking about the different pressures and the different uh, gases that you would have to go that deep. Obviously, you would have to have. Uh, um, and were you doing your own mix then, too? or uh, that, that was on a tri-mix, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. But um, you, you can do that on air, but it just takes a little bit of, of time getting used to the fact that you're pretty much working that far impaired underwater. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would imagine. Wow. So that's, that's why everything's slow and methodical, and and with that, um, it's everything, every part of your gear, you know where it is, and it's all done by feel, because it's it's just that muscle memory comes back, and it's the same as in conditions like the swamp, or in dark water, or um, or turbid water, mm -hmm. everything's done by feel. So sometimes you know people go, oh my god, I couldn't do it, it's so claustrophobic, but. It's not. It's actually a sense of freedom. Like you said before, Jeff, you know, when you get in and it is crystal clear mm -hmm. and you can see for hundreds of feet and then all you've got is your heartbeat and you can hear the sound on the reef of, of things clicking and moving across. In the oh, that's, oh, wow. it, it, it is beautiful. It really is. Yeah, that's I know. I've, I've always been, I show my age, I guess, but I grew up in the age of Jack Cousteau. Yeah. And watching his specials and everything. So I can, when you go down, you're doing what he was doing before before that. Yeah, he was one of my heroes as a kid. I was, was going to ask you about that, if he was or not, if you watched him. That was something that we all saw, you know, as kids, you know, watching Jacques Cousteau with his next exciting adventure, uh, you know, underwater. And so you you were able to, he was an inspiration for you as well, huh? Yep, and um, as, as I mentioned before, um, uh, Keith Jessup up in, in the Orkney Islands, you know, uh, I read his book as well. Um, and that was another thing that anything that was about diving, I would read. And um, also Bob Marks, uh, the American treasure hunter as well. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, he wrote numerous books, but yeah, he was one of my heroes. And fortunately, um, when I was down in Florida uh, diving a couple of years ago, um, Billy Salazar, who's a treasure hunter in the States there, um, me and him went and had lunch with Bob Marks down in Florida. Wow. So I actually got to meet one of one of my heroes. That's fantastic. Back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, that would be neat to be able to meet somebody that you admired like that in that field. That's that's great. Yeah. So um but yeah, this so just a you know, the idea, like you said, you mentioned earlier, you know, not about having so many different shipwrecks around the area and so much to do. So I would imagine that that would keep you very busy. So when you're not dive, you know, when you're not part of Oak Island and you know, going on during the summer months. And also, you know, right now, you know, thinking there's no boat no sea tours to do. What do you, what do you do in the off season? What do you uh, find you occupy your time with during the off season? Well, if the bay's frozen and I can't get out, <laughs> then um, as a family, we love snowshoeing, skiing, 
Um, we've got beautiful woods up behind our house. So we, we go and go up there into the forest and, and the snow up there. Mm-hmm. And even with the frozen water here, um, I, you've probably actually got some footage there, Jeff, of um, the yeah. barge breaking through the ice. Yes, I can play that for us real quick. So we do, we do actually dive this time of year. And it's actually great to dive this time of year because the water's colder. So you don't have the plankton growth and the algal blooms. So it's actually crystal clear. So we can lie on the bottom in 100 feet and look up and actually see the, the hull of the, of the dive boat. Oh, wow. In summer, there's just no chance of that. Wow. That's fantastic. Well, I should say there's no chance. Again, it all depends on the weather. Last mm-hmm. year, we had these strange things with these easterlies. Uh, the Gulf Stream was coming right in close to shore because we had, um, I think it was 18 days of easterlies all in, all in one hit. Wow. And so with that, we were having strange sea life. We, we had the clear water, but also the strange sea life. So we had seahorses and banded rudderfish, wow. major fish, um, all up here in, in Nova Scotia. And people say, seahorses? Yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking. Seahorses? Yeah. What? That's amazing. So the water got up to 20 degrees Celsius. Oh, wow. Yeah. So at the moment, to give you an idea, our water temperature is just two to three degrees Celsius. So, yeah, the ice you see on the top is um, because of the rivers here, like the Gold River that comes out around Oak Island. Yep, right. mm-hmm. yep. We have the fresh water sits on top of the salt water, mm-hmm. and that's what freezes. Oh, okay. So that's that ice that you'll see in that short video clip there, Jeff. Yeah, I'll go ahead and bring that up now. Let's see, I've got to, we had to turn the volume down a little. I'll try to get it up a little bit. People can hear the ice breaking there, yeah. Look at that. So that's a fun day out as well. It's just a different sort of fun. <laughs> and you were going, you were, you were just out, were you out actually getting ready to dive this day or no? Um, yes, that was uh, on the other side of Oak Island there. So coming back through by uh, clunky Meshi Island and Young Island there. Oh, wow. So that was Skipper Ryan. Um, he skippers the barge. So you've probably seen him on the show. And, um, mm-hmm. and me and Ryan were out uh, for a little jaunt there in the ice. Wow. Yeah, that's one thing I, I think about. And again, I know there's gear that would keep you nice and warm, but just the thought of it, you know. But again, like you said, you know, you get that time when the water is so clear. That would be just fascinating to be able to uh, get that different perspective. Because I know, you know, during, uh, you know, parts of season eight there that you guys went out and did some diving. And, be, you know, because of the currents or the winds and things going on, it reduces your visibility down to almost zero. And at that point, you can't really do much more than, um, you know, like you had the metal detector going, but you can't really do much. It's, it's, uh, um, it takes away a lot of that. Um, what you need to do is be able to see, and it takes that away from you. Um, from a viewer's perspective, uh, Jeff, that's right. You know, it's, it's you guys that aren't seeing it. But um, from, from my point of view, half my life's in darkness. So it's, you know, the, that's just an occupational hazard, you know, or, or it's, it's just part of the game. You know, if, if you're diving in the UK or if you're, you know, you're diving up in Scotland or, or here, you know, that's just part of the game. You know, a lot of your time is spent, you know, in, in, the, in the darkness. Yep. And it's just something you deal with. But the, the, the good times make it even more worthwhile. Oh, yeah, I would imagine so. Tony, how are the currents up there during the summer, like when you're doing that dive? 
You seemed like you were having trouble with the current when you were down there that that time. Anywhere um, where there's a channel jack, the the current's going to move a lot faster. So I think that particular footage you were talking about was um, uh, that would have been off the anomaly uh, between Frog Island and Oak Island, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So that little channel there, you've got Frog Island over on on your your port side. If you're heading out Frog Island on your port star, um, on your starboard, you got Oak, and there's the Frog Island Shoal. And so that comes up to almost the surface. So going back three, four hundred years, that shoal would have been dry land. And if you look back at the old charts, um, you will actually see there's one that's knocking. I should have um, brought it along with me, but I haven't. And and it actually shows Frog Island Shoal as dry land. Oh wow! And so that wasn't that long ago. That was only a couple of hundred years ago. And so when you go off Frog Island Shoal, you go down into a little gut and then it comes up to Oak Island. So the, the current, you're dead right, Jack, does move through there at a couple of knots. Mm-hmm. But again, that's not obscene. You know, so you, what you try and do is you try and pick your dive time. So you, yep. you enter the water as, the, um, as it's coming to slack tide, either high or low, and then you know you've got about 20 minutes of bottom time before the, the current starts to throw you around again. Yeah. And I remember seeing on that, that same footage there that uh, initially, and I believe it was Alex went down with you um, on the first dive. And then, um, you know, on the second dive opted not to because of his experience, quite honestly, in that, in dealing with that sort of thing. And that's something that, you know, we don't, again, if, unless you have anything to do with diving or if you've gone snorkeling or anything like that, I know snorkeling is not really, you know, quite the same thing because you're staying more toward the surface and doing short little dives down and coming back up. But, you know, we may not think about that sort of thing um, so much that there's those dangers involved. And if you're not a, a highly skilled, uh, like yourself, a highly skilled diver, there's things that that sort of thing you have to really think about when you go down there and be concerned with. Yeah, and when you when you um, have limited visibility, obviously, mm-hmm. when you're diving with a buddy, the idea is you you stay together as a buddy right. pair. Right. And so when you lose that visibility, the the chances of of losing each other, you know, um, elevate as well. Right. Yeah. So when we're in that sort of condition, it's in, instead of um having an octopus regulator for your buddy to breathe off, I'm I'm more of a believer in a redundant system. So we'll have a, a pony bottle or a smaller cylinder with its own regulator. So should you have a catastrophic failure of your back gas, mm-hmm. then you have your, your get-out-of-jail-free card there. Right. So your redundant system. Right. So when, when you're diving um, mainly solo, there is a, a lot more things that you have to think about, Jeff. You're, you're dead right. Wow. And as to your point, Jack, here, um, in the currents, and it's the same in the UK and, and Scotland when I was there as well, quite often you'll be on a wreck and your 20 minutes is up. And so what you do is you start to ascend, um, but you you blow um, a buoy or an S&P, surface marker buoy. And so you're under that doing your deco or your ascent. So when you actually surface, you could be four or five kilometers away from the wreck site. Wow. So very important that you've got a, a good skipper following your, your SMB as you're ascending as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So he can be there to, to, uh, to when you surface, he can be nearby. Yeah, for sure. And one of the most frightening things is when you surface and the weather's turned to, to, to custard 
and then you look around and you see no boat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the quite often that happens because you're at the bottom of a trough and the boat's at the bottom of another trough and all you see, oh, is I see yeah. ways in between. Uh-huh. And then you rise on top of a swell and you're hoping to see the boat. And if the boat's down in a trough, quite often you won't see it. And then it's that heart sinking feeling that, oh my God, I'm stuck out here by myself. <laughs> you know, where am I gonna end up? Cuba right. Uh, or and all of a sudden it just you know oh serendipity God. sort of kicks and you both crest together yeah oh my gosh yeah that would be that would be wild i can't imagine that but yeah like you say you come up and you're just like oh okay the boat's not here how am i gonna <laughs> am i gonna survive this oh yeah. my Tony, God. What, what is your favorite place that you've ever dove that you would go back again and again it's just one of those things that attracts you to it well, I love the wreck of the Atlantic, obviously. That's one of my favorites, Jake. It's, I love the story behind it. Um, I just love the site. Um, in fact, one of my buddies, um, a good mate of mine, Greg Kutchkoff, when he passed away, um, myself and Bob Chalk, Dana, and um, this little group that I'm with, uh, we're called the Zodiac Pirates. And that's because we all sort of cruise around in these Zodiacs, and that's our boat of choice for these the, the, um, those bad locations mm-hmm. because pretty much if the weather does pick up and you lose a boat you're only losing you know, an, an inflatable you're not losing a, a bigger boat and, right. the, and the weather can turn like that so on that particular day myself and the other zodiac pirates we went down and we put greg's ashes back on the wreck oh so wow passed oh. away that was his favorite wreck and he wrote a book him and bob wrote a book about it oh and really so, Bob's actually got another book coming out on the wreck of the Atlantic later on this year as well. Oh, really? Wow, that's fantastic. <clears throat> so the, the Atlantic wreck, that's one of my favorites. Um, the Chiara in England, that's another one. Um, she was a first-class liner that sank in 1917, hit a, hit a ma- uh, mine. Oh, wow. That's another good wreck. And the, up in the Orkney <laughs> Islands of Scotland, um, they have the German World War I high seas fleet. And so that's a marvelous um, set of wrecks to dive up there as well. Yeah, that's fascinating. I would just, I, I would really love to be able to do that. But again, now as you get older, it's like, well, do I, can I bother to try to learn how to, you know, be certified to dive? And even if you are, you're not going to, I mean, doing something like that, diving on a wreck like that, you have to, and I'm assuming there's different levels. And again, this is with my inexperience about diving and my ignorance in it, but I would assume that you you're not going to take a novice diver can't go down that deep. Is there certain levels of certifications that you have for that? There is, and um, you know you're, you're learning every day, Jeff. Like <clears throat> if you if you think you can do it all, you know, and you know everything, then it'll end badly. Mm-hmm. You know, because yeah. every day you learn something out on the ocean. Expect the unexpected. Yeah, and on those wrecks. Um, you know, the Aeolian Sky is another one out there that's quite deep, and you do have a very finite time on that. And the weather here, and well, that's why there's so many shipwrecks as well, is because of the, the violent storms, but also the, the coastline, the rugged coastline here. And so if you're caught out there, you know, again, it can end badly. And me and my wife were out there one day, and it was so calm, it was like glass all the way out. And I did the first dive, it was fine. It was beautiful. Um, second dive, I hopped in, and that should have been my warning. I should have just called it a day. I, I jumped in, and um, there was a shark off the point, and I didn't see it. And then all of a sudden, bam, it was it was on top of me. 
Oh, wow. But I was going down. So she was actually very erratic swimming around on the surface or swimming around above me. And it was because I was where she wanted to be. I was looking up at her belly. Oh, so wow. I carried on the dive. And as I was going through the dive, I started getting pounded against the rocks. And so I, I thought, okay, this is time to quit. You know, something's gone wrong. And the weather had picked up. So when I hit the surface, it, it had turned from a flat, calm day into into a washing machine. Oh wow! So I never even got my um my dry suit off. I just hauled my gear on board, got on the boat, started the motors. Um, we managed to haul the anchor and then just pound into it. And what took us an hour to get there took us six and a half hours to get back. Oh jeez! Yeah, it just pounded the whole way. Wow! And, and that's how quickly it can turn here. Mm-hmm. Man, that's and that's something that uh, and having that communication. I know that we've seen where you are able to actually have two way communi- voice communication with somebody that you're is on the boat. Um, uh, you know, and that I can see would just be so much of an advantage to be able to warn you about situations like that. Yeah, you can actually feel it. You can you can feel you know you, your body once you get into the water. You know you're you're moving with the current. Everything that happens, you know. Mm-hmm just moves you around and you'll see things and it can get um a little disorientating even the big kelp you know the big um will just wave like big big Mm. um, branches or big trees but sometimes the water current underneath is flowing you the opposite way so it's moving that way and you're moving this way that's kind of fascinating to feel though yeah and that can um that can sort of um if you if you're prone to motion sickness or seasickness that'll That'll do it. Well, I was in the Navy. And so I tell you, it's funny because, uh, you know, being in the Navy, you'd think, oh, this guy's great. He could go out to see no problem. But, you know, always, always before uh, uh, when going on a long cruise, um, the first storm that we hit, I would always get seasick. And, and, you know, you think about that. It's like, yeah, I was in the Navy. And I sure enough, I did get seasick. But once you, you know, we were on a Western Pacific cruise. And once you go out and you've hit that first storm, like between, uh, I, I was stationed in San Diego, and so between San Diego and Hawaii, we did hit a storm between the two, got seasick, got to Hawaii, everything calmed down, got back on the ship for the rest of the six months we were out, never got sick again, because you develop your sea legs is what they call it. Um, you get used to the motion. Um, but So I know I know what you mean by that, and you, you kind of get that motion. But again, being underwater... That, that fascinates me because, and, and going with your experience, you would feel that. And I guess, like you said, you could tell if it's just the current maybe and moving you around or if things are getting choppy up above. But again, that, that relies back to your experience in diving and knowing those signs, probably, I would guess, right? To, to know when there's trouble ahead. Like you said, you were being bumped up against the rock. That's telling you, okay, it's, something's happening here and I better surface and see what's going on. Yeah. And sometimes that's that's your work um, that's your work theater for that day anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's just suck it up, deal with mm-hmm. it. Yep. Yeah. Um, one of the one that we had a uh, Linda was throwing up a question here about the HMS Phantom Phantom F A N T O M E Phantom. Oh yes, yes, yes. You have a story about that. Yep. So she's off Prospect, so she's not far away from here either. And um, the Phantom. Um, had allegedly um, met up with other ships that were coming back from the sacking of the White House. So the um, when the White House was burned to the ground in um, in eighteen fourteen, mm-hmm. right. then some of the 
stuff that was pillaged uh, by the uh, British slash Canadians at the time was believed to be on board the wreck of the Phantom, which is off just off prospect there. So that's another one, which is a stone's throw from the uh, wreck of the SS Atlantic as well. Wow. So that's how savage that coastline is. Wow. So again, to dive that one again is on the shallow rocks um, close to shore. So quite often you'll go down there if you get the window of opportunity, if you get a good day. And um, again, it's, it's, I think there's other stuff there as well as the Phantom, to be honest, because the, um, the debris that you see on the bottom is not all consistent with something from the 1800s. So there's more okay. modern stuff down there as well. Wow. And uh, so that's, that's one there um, that would deserve further investigation. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Wow. That's neat. So let's uh, bring this around to Oak Island a little bit. So when you, uh, when you first, obviously you were doing your thing, living up there in the area and practicing your trade and, um, and along comes an opportunity to go out to Oak Island. Can you tell us a little bit about how that went down? Yeah. Well, um, Marty and Alex, we're looking at doing a dive also off that um, northern side of Oak Island back mm -hmm. in those days as well. So they um, they got gear, um, they rented gear, and they um, got all set up and ready to go. And then some of the stuff needed some works and needed some love. And so one of the producers at the time um, heard of me and knew that I was a local diver here. So she got me to go along and, and fix the gear up. And... Um, then what happened is Marty was my size exactly, so I gave him my gear. And uh, we went out, we did the dive, and the rest's history. So it was, you know, very fortuitous for me to meet up with Marty and Alex. Mm -hmm. and, and also to be part of the, the team since since the first season. Yeah. So yeah. It's something like you said before as well, Jack, is, you know, I don't really care if we find – um, the big stack of gold or the big stack of treasure or not. It's the camaraderie, you know, the friendships that have come out of this and the adventure, you know, and I'm, I'm living my dream. I really am. You know, every schoolboy's dream to get out there and look forward. I was going to say, and, gonna say what a gig to have. I mean, what we've <laughs> arrived, kept watching the show that you just you leave your ego in the causeway and you go and do your job and everybody gets along that way. There's no there's no friction or anything like that or anything. Oh, and and we have a lot of fun as well. Like we we really do. Like um you know so me and Gary will meet up at the Mug and Anchor Pub for a beer and Jack as well. Yeah. So you know Gary quite often will just text me you know on a Friday and he'll he'll just text me rub it up. So, which is Cockney code word for. <laughs> so, yeah. so then that's we lay down frog and toad to the rub it up. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious! And that's so neat, you know. And like Jack said, you know, we, you know, we feel like, you know, we've we've watched you guys, and and again for for eight seasons now, we've watched all you guys working and and the camaraderie you have with each other, and we feel like, you know, like yeah, just one of the users just said one big family, and we get that sense of that. Um, you know, that you have, you are just one big family. And it, and it, 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 like, like Jack said, you check your ego at the causeway, you know, because when you go across that Island, you're working as a team with everybody else and everybody else is, seems to be experts in their field. You know, we hear that from obviously Robert Clotworthy when he says an expert, you know, metal detector or metal detection expert, Gary Drayton or diving expert, Tony Sampson. We know that you guys are at the top of your field in these things, you know, and so, 
you have to check your ego at the at the causeway when you go across because now you're working as a team of people the fellowship of the dig if you will uh to solve a mystery and and each of you put in your expertise into that um, but we all get a sense that we know um we feel that and and watching us at, you know watching the show as a as a viewer and a fan of it um, we get to feel like we know, and it, there was something that was said in the, in the drilling down that was just on here recently with Dave Blankenship talking about Dan and Dave, uh, Maddie Blake did a wonderful job on that, by the way, that was a fantastic, that was one of my best shows of the entire season, um, that he did with that. But David made a comment during that. He had said, we you know when he finds, sees people out in public, and I'm sure this may happen to you too, but you see people out in public and they're like, oh, that's, that's, that's Tony Sampson or that's Dave Blankenship. And somebody had said to Dave, I, I know you. And Dave said, no, you don't know me. He was doing that jokingly and he was very gracious about it. But what he meant was, you feel like you know me, but you don't really know me. But we, we get that sense watching you each and every week on TV and how you guys interact with each other. And we feel we're part of it. So we kind of feel like we do know you, even though we don't and we've never met, you know, we do kind of feel like we know you. And that's that's just what you guys bring to the table on the show is I guess my point is that is that you guys bring that together on the show and you draw us all into it as well. And that's just fantastic that, that, that is able to happen like that. Yeah. It's you're right. It, it is a big family. And I mean, you know, uh, Rick, Marty, Craig, they are fantastic people. It's not, created for television personas you know i think rick's probably the nicest human being i've ever met in my life i get that sense yeah and it's the same i mean marty is just a phenomenal guy to to be around and to and to to work for to work with you know same as craig they're just marvelous people they really are and one person i wanted to kind of ask you about there's a guy that's been there the longest now and that's dan Esky. we don't see him that often but his knowledge I mean, he went out and found that coconut fiber that one day on that one episode. He goes, I know, it's right here somewhere. And he almost walked right out and mm -hmm. pulls it he's out. I mean, big, yeah. does, he, does he have that kind of knowledge? or Dan Hensky, he, again, he's probably one of the smartest guys around, Jack. Wow. You know, his mind works on another level. It really does. And I can't remember what season it was, two or three. Um it was when me and Dan were um, out on the boat all day and um, we were doing a dye test. And so we had Trevor and Charles off one, off one side and a boat. And then we had myself and Dan off another side. And I think Marty and Rick were up on a chopper for a while. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, me and again, what you see on the show is just like a snippet. You know, if you see Gary wandering around for five minutes with a metal detector, he goes, Oh, look, I found this. Chances are he's been out there all day doing it, you know, and the same with that particular day. We were on the ocean all day. So, you know, and eventually Dan just sort of curled up into a little ball up for it and, <laughs> and had a bit of a snooze. But, yeah, he is an amazing man, Jack. He really is. And he can he can take to pieces anything and put it back together. He's got like a photographic memory. He's oh, really? Wow. Unbelievable. You know, it's, there's, there's nothing he can't do. He's amazing. He really yeah. is. And we get that sense of like, like Jack was saying, we get that sense of that when we watch you, you guys, um, and Dan, again, you know, just fantastic. Like, like Jack said, he was able to walk out basically and tell them where to dig and find the coconut fiber. Uh, and so many of the other things. And again, like you mentioned, 
you know, there's hours and hours, hundreds, maybe thousands of hours of, of footage being taken um, all summer long. And, you know, again, we, we do, we only see little snippets of it here and there. Um, and, but you realize that there's so much, but, and again, it's for like the, even the theorists, when the theorists are on the show and they're in the war room, they might be in the war room. It might be a four hour session. We get five minutes of them on the show, you know, and that's one of the things that I, and again, having you here, we know that you're on the show all the time, but we, again, we only see little bits and pieces of you doing certain things on the Island. We don't get a chance to let you just talk about more, this more in depth. And that's what is nice to be able to bring you on and let you do this kind of stuff because we're all getting an education here. I'm kind of watching the chat chat as it goes by here. And there's a lot of people just commenting about the different things that they're, they're learning about you and about diving that we didn't know before. And that's, what's so neat about it. Um, I wanted to jump back to season one real quick. Um, and this is, you know, we, when you basically got uh, started, well, we first were introduced to you on the Island. And again, when you were, um, and I, I, I had some pictures and I, I kind of talked about these in the beginning a little bit. Um, but, um, well, the first one actually I had, I wanted to go to this one first and I'm, I'm going to show a couple of pictures here, uh, if we could, and I get this ready. Here we go. And I'll bring this up. This is a, a picture of you in the war room and you were looking at a, a coin, um, and they had you doing a little bit of an investigation on this coin and, and I, we talked about this a, a bit just before the show. Um, and, and the reason I bring this up is because some people were very adamant that the show was saying that this was a Templar coin. But, I mean, it's really hard to get any sense of anything from that, really. I, isn't that the case when you saw it? She's in hard shape, um, Jeff. It, it really is. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of sometimes you get lucky, sometimes you don't. Mm -hmm. And with that uh, particular coin, if you find something like that, any information you can get on it, off it is, is a bonus. You know, so if you, you know, with that one there, um, I don't know if you can mark it at all, but I thought that could have been a Templar cross. Oh, um, yeah. It does kind of look like right across here. It does look like there's yeah. some sort yeah. of marking there. And right down the top as well and down the bottom. Mm -hmm. But I mean, oh, right here, again, yeah. as you probably know, the Templars, and from talking to Alessandra the other week, the Templars were the first bank. Mm -hmm. So, right. you know, they weren't just shock troops. You know, that's how they, they started. They were the first shock troops. <laughs> and by that, I mean, you know, they would literally ride through the enemy, you know, and penetrate with, with their horses enough that the ground troops could, could pull on through. But a lot of people don't realize that 95% of the Templar numbers were actually um, in support. So they had the vineyards, they had the houses, they had the, you know, the financial um, side of things. So this, you know, um, they did have their own coinage as well. It, yeah, I, I heard the first, it, bank, yeah, the first bankers of the world is what a lot of people are saying that they yeah. were. Yeah, and then they, they pretty much, for want of a better term, they were the, the first multinational. <laughs> so, you know, they really were. And quite often you'll see one image of a coin or a medallion, and it's of two knights riding one horse. Mm -hmm. And that was because of their vow of poverty. Because initially the, the Templars were called the poor knights. You know, and, and that was because of their vow of, of poverty. Because when they became Templars, they actually donated their assets to the cause. And, you know, they, they didn't care about uh, money and, and uh, possessions. And the reason, you know, people say, well, well, why were they so rich? How were they so rich if they didn't care about money and possessions? 
But you see, they those troops, they had no expectation of coming back alive. You know, they were God's soldiers. They, they were believers in their cause and willing to die for it. So with that, with their vow of, of poverty, you know, everything went towards that cause. So hence the, the two knights on one horse. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And I know that I've done I've done a little bit of research on that. And I tell you, honestly, talking to people like yourself and Alessandra, um, you know, being able to gather that kind of information and just listening, I'm just fascinated by it. Um, it really is. And and to be able to tie that together with hopefully tie that together with coming over from, you know, uh, Scotland and coming over to Nova Scotia, which is New Scotland. Um you know, you know, we I, I'm a believer in that, even though we still are working towards that definitive proof. Uh, we have so many little bits and pieces that, that would lead that story. But do we have that definitive proof yet? I, I want to think we do. But yet, you know, scholars will say, no, 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 no. We don't have any proof of that. And it's all rubbish. Um, but again, that's something that we I, I continue <laughs> to learn and learn and learn and gather more information from talking with people like yourself who, who seem to have more knowledge on it. Yeah, I mean, I would love it to be Templar. I really would. I know, I know you would as well, Jack. I <laughs> know. Oh, I'm, I'm stuck there. I, I admit that. Yeah. But I mean, you know, so many people get tied up on things like, well, well, how could it be the Templars? You know, you know, North America wasn't found until 1492 when. Yeah. Right. That's out of here. Yeah. And we know, we know that's just bollocks. You know, yep. because we have a, a Newf we're in Newfoundland here. We have a settlement, a Viking settlement. You know, going back to 999. So, you know, 1000, we had Europeans settled here. Yep. You know, and this was a Viking fishing village in, in Newfoundland, Leosal Meadows. And it's, it's not like those Vikings or Norse came all the way here to Newfoundland, jumped off, went for a pee, and left. Right. <laughs> it was a fishing village to which they came back. You know, and the same with the, the Basques, the, the Portuguese, mm -hmm. um, they were here and there was actually in 1981, there was a diver from Newfoundland called Wayne Mushrow, and he found an astrolabe, um, which is a navigational instrument that predates the sextant. And so the one he found was from 1628. Wow. Yeah, I did some research. It was 1731 for a sextant, if I remember, or something along that nature. Yeah, and this is where it gets really weird, Jack. In that part of, um, it's called Isla Mort, or Isle of the Dead. <clears throat> and he found the sextant from 1628. And then, obviously, the uh, Nova Scotia government or the, or the government took it and put it on display in a museum. And then... Lo and behold, he's out again, and he finds another one. Wow. And this time it's a French one from 1617. Wow. And um, that particular model is the only one that they know of left in the world. Um, there was a second one, um, and it was on display in a museum in France, but it was bombed by um, the Germans during World oh, War wow. II so, and destroyed. So this the second one that Wayne found is is the only only believed to be the only one in existence from that from sixteen. Um, so something I wanted to ask you about, Tony. I know year after year you go back to the same site year after year, but I think with all the storms and everything, can you describe how much the landscape can change? Uh, new finds can be found just because of the weather and everything else that happens there. Well, if you imagine throwing something into a washing machine, Jack, 
And it's like that. Even with these ships, they wreck on the shallows, on the reefs and, and close to shore or on a, on a feature. So say you've got a flat, calm day, like that video you just saw before of, of the ice and the water, you can see it's just flat, calm. But can you imagine, you know, the, the reef below you might only be 20 feet or 30 feet below the ocean. And then if you look at um, a sea state where you have waves up to 40, 50, 60, sometimes 100 feet, mm. then a little ship up here on the wave suddenly gets pounded against that mm -hmm. reef. And then it's, it's lost. It vanishes. Right. And so, you know, people say 100-foot waves. You know, that can't be possible. But, you know, that's the sort of waves we were looking at when um, you might remember a movie a couple of years ago called The Perfect Storm. Mm -hmm. yeah. where they lost um, the Andrea Gale, a, a fishing boat out of Gloucester. Mm -hmm. And so the waves off Sable Island were artifacts from the Andrea Gale washed up. Oh, wow. So fuel tank, fuel drums, um, the, um, uh, I think it was the EPIRB or washed up on, on Sable Island. And we have the oil rigs out there as well. They have to, 100-foot waves out there are not unusual. Right, so yeah, you know, so you can imagine what a hundred foot wave would turn up on the bottom, Jack. So oh, it just yeah. it just digs it up every year. Not only that, but also destroying a coastline and creating uh, you know, uh tearing out a bunch of a coast coastline from big storms coming in, like uh like hurricanes that make their way up to Nova Scotia and it's just erosion on that beach line. I That's mean, a that, very, that there is a very good point, Jeff. Um the, that point you bring up there because just on um, with Hurricane uh, Dorian the other year, um, on the on the northern side of Oak Island, um, and also on Apple Island, and especially round Nubble and Isaac's Point off by Smith's Cove there. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, we we lost about forty feet of soil. Wow. And about eighteen feet on the northwestern side as well. But round Nubble lost the whole northern face. Oh, so, really? Yeah. Um, some of my guests on the charter the other year could just see the trees just just hanging down where we lost that whole northern face. Wow. So the thing there is with, with that changing landscape and those storms, if you look at things, um, say somebody turns up tomorrow with a map of Oak Island and goes, this map's from – you know, from the Templar time, from the 1300s, say. Mm -hmm. Well, if the map looks like Oak Island, then you've really got to have a word with yourself and go, well, that's not, mm -hmm. you know, that's not quite right because in that time it has changed so much. Oak Island did not look like Oak Island, you know, three, 400 years ago. Yep. Yeah, we were just looking at some maps uh, from that were shown on the show just last week. Uh, we were talking about this on Wednesday night, and we brought up some pictures that were, um, I think, um, Jack and, oh, it was on a drilling down where Maddie Blake was looking at some maps of uh, Oak Island that were done back in the early, oh, my gosh. I'm 1790? 17, yeah, the 1790s, 1788, in that time frame. And even then, some of the maps, now, were the, were the map uh, cartographers? Or no, it was like, is that what I a... Yeah, the guys that make the maps, yeah, um, you know, they were looking at, and it was it it was definitely different. And even going to to Doctor Spooner, you know, when there was a few episodes back where they were talking about the um, matter of fact, it was the episode where you guys were working off the coast there, uh, looking for those anomalies off the coast of the 
uh, on the boulder to speech and then coming around off the off the swamp. <clears throat> um, he was estimating, uh, and I think Rick had made a comment that about a foot per century water depth lower, giving you more beach at that time. So I think Rick had actually made the comment a foot per century, the water level was lower going back in time, correct? Is that about your right estimate on that? Yeah, um, and I think you know, I, I love being out with Ian. Me and him have a great time whenever we're out on the ocean. He's phenomenal. He really is. And with what Ian was saying there is with erosion, um, you're looking at different phases of it, mm -hmm. and the different forms can, can do different things as well. So when you have erosion, the taking away, you know, it takes it away from one place, but it's got to put it somewhere else. Right, so you've yeah. got erosion and depositation as well. Mm -hmm. So if it gets taken from here, it's almost like a bank. You take it out and you've got to put it somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So with that South Shore beach side, what you're looking at there is, is yes, the water level. Yeah, and again, this is where people say, well, it couldn't have been two islands or it couldn't have been a channel because the water was so much lower. Mm -hmm. But what they're not realizing there is that that reef line that me and Ian were on, that would have been dry land going back right. 300 years. Right. And so the whole hydrodynamics there would have been different because the waves would have come in and broken there and it would have actually scooped out that beach area. So it would have been a larger lagoon. And right. so where you're looking at the eastern side of the swamp, that could quite quite possibly have been a, a deeper part of the lagoon. Right. So, you know, a ship could come in to, to that of the lagoon. And then the other side, down by Lot 26, down by Sam's area, mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. would have been, that land there would have been higher. You know, that okay. shallow reef line there, that would have been dry land. You know, right. And the same with Isaac's Point. Isaac's Point, um, the, the water depth there, I don't even bring my boat in there at low tide. Oh, really? Wow. You only it's have right. two to three feet water in places. So that whole of Isaac's Point that comes off the um, northeastern side, that would have been dry land. And again, you'll see that tail coming off Apple Island where me and Gary and Jack were metal detecting the other year. So right. that would have been huge, and if I'm guessing right, that map that was um, that you're talking about from the 1700s probably mm -hmm. showed uh, Frog Island as Adolphus Island back in the day, mm -hmm. and um, that was actually owned by um, by John Smith of Oak Island family. As well. Oh, really? Wow! Really? One stage, John Smith owned on uh, Frog yeah. Island, and so wow. some people say, well. Maybe there's treasure on Frog Island, and there's all kinds of rumors up here about that. <laughs> could it be? <laughs> yeah, could it be on Frog could it Island? Be? Yeah, could it be? That's a fantastic, and you know, and it does. You know, now they talk about you know, it, you, you we look at Oak Island, we see the pictures of it, and and it, some people equate it to a baby elephant. I just saw somebody in chat saying that Vicky said something, had said that in chat that it, it kind of looks like a baby elephant. So Isaac's point being this. You know the snout of the the elephant, the trunk of the elephant. You know a baby elephant. It kind of has that resemble, but it, again, like you said, that changes so much over the years, and with the water levels and things happening like that, it would have looked much different um, many years ago, um, especially with the lower water levels. And it, it takes us back to the whole idea of the swamp. That you know, some people again they talk about the fact that the swamp or that it was two separate islands and it was filled in with the dirt from the money pit and all of this and that. Well. I don't know about all of that, but if the water level was lower, now you take the road that goes around the bottom, 
of the swamp, the road that has been built there. You take that road away, which it wouldn't have been there, obviously, back in those days. <clears throat> the water would have been able, the ocean would have been able to at least wash up in that area. But if it was lower water levels, would that swamp then have been less water in it or been, been dry ground at some point? So that kind of, I, I, I think about that when people say, oh, it was two islands and it was filled in. Was it really, though? I mean, if the water levels were lower, wouldn't that make the swamp be kind of dry ground three, four, five, six hundred years ago? I don't know. I, um, dry ground, no. Okay. And the reason I say dry ground, no, is because I, I, I don't know if it made it to TV or not, but there was one um, episode where Marty was in the inflatable and I was in the, um, in the swamp in mm -hmm. my suit. And even in a, a hot, hot, hot summer's day, and it was up towards the eye of the swamp, and this was probably the first time that I knew something was weird up there mm -hmm. was um, there was a definite thermocline. And by thermocline, I mean a temperature change. Right. So I was hot um, probing around where I found the, um, the uh, paved area up on the northern side of the swamp. Mm -hmm. But when I was probing and I found that, it was warm. But then when I moved further north um, to where the eye of the swamp is, then the cold water, I, I, I actually started shivering. And Marty said, okay, that's enough. You know, by the end of the day, he's like, yeah, you're done. You know, it's time to get out. You're, you're freezing. And so with that in mind, you know, there is freshwater springs. <laughs> and so if you look to the western side of um, Fred Nolan, Tom Nolan's property, mm -hmm. you will actually see that there's a little stream that, that um, does come out there as well. So in times gone by, if, um, if like Dr. Spooner said, if that reef line had been higher and the, um, the current flow had gone this way, so the northeastern side of the swamp was deeper, then maybe there was a channel. So was it two islands? Not two huge separate islands, maybe not. But was there a flow of water between the two? Quite possibly. Oh, yeah, that definitely makes total sense. I can see that now from what you're saying, yeah. So technically, you know, if there's a flow of water between <laughs> two lands, right, then it's yeah, two islands. So. <laughs> two islands. So he could be right after all, but because that was Fred Nolan's, uh, you know, theory all along. Yeah, but you know, could a ship sail between those two islands? I yeah. don't know. But yeah. you know, to play devil's advocate here, you know, I've got a little theory that, you know, you look at all the cave systems down the coast here. So just up the coast from us, we have a thing called the ovens which is a marvelous thing to visit if you ever get a chance to come up here. And it's a sea cave system, and it's literally a stone's on you know, 10 kilometers, 20 kilometers from Oak mm -hmm. Island. And it's where the rum runners and the pirates used to hide their stuff up here as well. And so we've got all kinds of sea caves here, Red Island, uh, caves underwater. And so if that was the case, then maybe Oak Island was like that. There was caverns, you know, subterranean caverns or mm -hmm. sea caves. And if a ship sailed into this lagoon and there was a cave on the beach area, then maybe the um, treasures or the artifacts were unloaded from the ship into these caves. Right. And then the ship broken up and the cave sealed up. You know? And then they made their exit out of a cave vent that you see in the, in the ovens, a cave vent that we now call the money pit. Ah, see? Because you've got to remember, when the money pit was created, the money pit was never created going down. The money pit was created coming up. 
That's right. Because you have the soil and the planks and the soil. Right, exactly. And that can only be done coming out of that, right. Yes. You would almost have to be coming from the swamp area to make that happen. Yeah, so you'd have to be coming up. So it was on your exit that the mm. money pit was created, not digging down. Right. I mean, you can't dig down and put a plank of <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You can't yeah. have a plank above you. Yeah, exactly right. And, and I had mentioned that on like one of the very first shows I had done of, of the season eight. I had made a comment about that because that's how you would fill it up with dirt, put some planks. You can now you've got a stepping point for a ladder or whatever to get up a little yeah. higher and then exactly. continue your way up. Yeah. That makes sense, right? I mean, I, yeah. you ne it was never created going down, it was created coming up. Right, right, exactly. Very interesting. So you said that up that up to, up the coast, uh, 10 kilometers away, you said there's some caves. Are any of those underwater? Um, it depends on the tide, yes, and depends on right. the source. Have you been that's able to so and that's why people need to hide stuff there. Yeah. Right. Have you have you been able to dive any of those? Yep. Oh yeah. wow. Yeah. And so it's crazy. it's a marvelous area. It really is. And there's so much history here. I mean, you know, and then you know, people say again, you know, well, pirates. That's another one. You know, people say, well, pirates weren't, you know, they weren't um, disciplined enough, or uh, oh, they never had the numbers. You know. Right. But, you forget that not all pirates were Blackbeard. Right. Exactly. So if, you, if you look at the, um, if you go back to guys like Sir Francis Drake and Peter Easton, mm -hmm. you know, they were, um, they were privateers. So they had a letter of mark from Queen Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, well, in fact, um, Sir Francis Drake, Queen Elizabeth used to call him my private pirate, you know, because he made her so much money, you know, by um, not not only the sacking of Panama, but also by um, harrying the Spanish you know, and um, and obviously taking millions and millions and millions of dollars off them. But Peter Easton's one that nobody or hardly anybody knows about, but mm -hmm. he also had a letter of mark. And so when King James took the throne, that letter of mark was rescinded. Oh, wow. And so why would you give up your lucrative job? So from he went from privateer to pirate. And he was probably one of the the most successful, if not the most successful pirate. And um, he ended up marrying very well and um, became a duke in the Duchy of Savoy. Wow. So and obviously gave away piracy for that. But right, yep. you know, he was in Newfoundland um, in 1612, 1613. Wow. And so that was his that was his commission from Queen Elizabeth the first mm -hmm. was to come and protect the fishing fleet here in the Atlantic. And so with that, um, there's stories without going into too much, there's, there's stories of him and um, anywhere between nine and twenty ships, you know, being in the in the Newfoundland area. Mm -hmm. So this is something that really, really, wow. really interests me. So oh yeah, I'm fascinated. Um, I we could do a whole show probably just on that alone, talking about some of that stuff right yeah. there. That's fascinating. Yeah. Well, another mate of mine, um, a guy called Bill Smith, he's a he's a researcher. He spent 20 years of his life researching Peter Easton. Really? So yeah, I I will I'll hold off on that one. Okay, good. Yeah, <laughs> we, we might have to have you both come on. Yeah, I don't know if he's yeah. safe. Yeah, that's fascinating. That just and, you know, and again, you know, it's it's not everybody is into history. Some people, and again, it goes back right talking about Oak Island in itself, 
and I may have mentioned this earlier, but you know, would we like them to find a, a cache of treasure? Yes, absolutely. We all would. But I want to know that story behind it, the mystery, the 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 what who was there and when and why. And we know by looking at some certain evidence has been found that there's been many people have been around that area. Again, the pirates and you know, James Anderson owning part of Oak Island and things of that nature. Uh, we know that there's been in the British and the French and then the British and then the French, you know, coming to the area over the years. And of course, the the the, um, the Vikings and whatnot. So we know there's been a lot of activity in this area. And that history is something that fascinates me. Um, and then the Portuguese talk, you, are a big one as well, Jeff. The Portuguese. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, people seem to overlook that. But mm -hmm. I mean, they were phenomenal navigators and mm -hmm. just by Wayne Mushrow finding, you know, the Portuguese astrolabe. I mean, we found Portuguese um, pottery in Halifax Harbor, you know, and um, I think it was, right there, yeah. uh, good God, who was it? A couple of years back, he had a Portuguese um, chart showing this area as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, obviously Sable Island was um, charted in the 1500s by the Portuguese as well. So it's... Yep. There's, there were all kinds of people here. But it's like I tell a lot of my guests on the, on the charter boat when we're out there around the island as well, is that even if the treasure's been found or a lot of the treasure's been found, you know, on the island itself, and there's so many theories as to did Sam Ball find it or, mm -hmm. you know, was it McGuinness and Vaughan? Did they make off with it? Or ha has it been people since, these stories of rags to riches that, that right. happen all the time out this way? But you know, you've got to remember with all the shipwrecks around Nova Scotia here, and like we talked about before, Jack, with um, longitude, before longitude, we only had that latitude. So what, whoever came here, you know, and, and deposited a treasure did not come in one ship. Mm -hmm. You know, ask Gary about the 1715 fleet mm -hmm. down in Florida, those Spanish ships that wrecked off the coast, and the 1600s, the same thing with those fleets down there, those treasure fleets. They traveled in fleets not only for protection, but to divide the assets up amongst themselves as well. Mm -hmm. Was it the 1780s or, I don't know, the 1780s, the French buried treasure because they had 88 ships come over to retake a fort up north and they ran into a squall and most of the ships sunk, so they had to bury treasure on Oak Island, so that fits right in with that also. Ah, well, that's that's very interesting you mentioned that, Jack, because that was Duke de Alvo. Mm -hmm. yep. And um, it wasn't um, it wasn't the story of success. You're dead right. The whole fleet uh, got separated. And, in fact, parts of the fleet arrived here, waited, and then left. And so it was Halifax that he pulled into. And he actually, Duke de Alvo, died in Halifax. Mm. So then it was his second in charge. Um, actually, uh, he didn't want the job and committed or tried to commit suicide on, on board the ship, allegedly. Wow. And so um, with that, there's stories of when um, visitors to Halifax came on the northern, um, would be the northwestern side up the Bedford Basin area there. They found remains of French soldiers and their weapons leaning up against trees where they had obviously died. Wow! And so either of illness or starvation. Mm -hmm. So that is a that's a fascinating tale. And the interesting thing there, Jack, is um a friend of mine, a, a mate of mine, um who was diving Bedford Basin recently, 
found a burnt out hulk that he believed may be from the Anvil's time. Wow. So and yeah, and then others say no. Um, the treasure uh, was was placed on Oak Island, you know that French treasure. Right, right, yeah. And so then you then you get into the other tale um, of obviously the Jacobite Revolution as well, mm-hmm. or the or the, or the um, Jacobite campaign. So it was with support um, from pirates, you know, like Blackbeard, like Peter Easton, um, that. The, that there was funds raised to support such a, a rebellion and that those funds might have been placed coming up from the Caribbean on Oak Island. Wow. Yeah, and because uh, a lot of people don't realise this whole area here, you know, and, and when we're talking about guys like Easton and um, Sir Francis Drake, they weren't, <laughs> they weren't pirates. They didn't start their lives as right. pirates. They ended up as pirates. So they were highly disciplined. You know, their men loved them. And they were highly organized. They had the money to do it. They had the men to do it. And they had the knowledge. So with that, I mean, you've got the the young teaser up here. Um, she's an American privateer. And she sank in 1813. Uh, you've got the sweat just off the sweat rocks here. So this whole area was crawling with pirates back in those days as well. And the okay. reason being is they found it easy to get crew here. Because as a young guy, you had two choices. You could either go to sea, go fishing, or you could work the land. You know, so in the freezing cold winters here, you had a choice of either working the land or working on the sea or joining one of these pirates on a Caribbean adventure. Caribbean. I'm heading for the Caribbean. I would be there too. Warm <laughs> uh, weather. Heading for the Caribbean. Yeah. That's that's fantastic. Um, so, getting back a little bit to some of the uh, the shows that you've done, um, you know, we we talked about the 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 coin there briefly. Um, you also were out uh, at one point. They had you going out to um, uh, Alessandra's property and diving on the well that was out there. And I, I did have a couple of pictures. And again, I, I mean, I show these pictures all the time. That, and people probably the, every all of our members are probably going, "Oh, geez, there goes Jeff with his pictures again." <laughs> But I, I like to show them because it gives us a chance to to see and remember uh, what was happening at that time. And originally, you had gone down in the well like this to take a look above water, and then of course you saw a few things. You suited up and you went down and, and you went down in in uh, in your dive suit to get a better look underwater at the bottom and things of that nature. But um, during this dive, you also you know you found this little. Um, triangle that was carved in there that we were all trying to make sense of. What can you tell us about this whole experience? Well, with the triangle there, I mean, that well was fascinating, Jeff, and the, the fact that it was meticulously made. And, um, I mean, every everything was placed perfectly. And so the, inter- the other, oh, there's so many interesting things about Alessandra's property. Um, you know, if you look right across the road is actually the Masonic Lodge as well. So, so some people want to, you know, form a connection there as well. And you've got to remember New Ross is in the center of the, um, of Nova Scotia there. So there is a connection there. And it used to be a a route that was used by the military, by the British soldiers coming up from Halifax as well. And so Oak Island um, is, is tied to New Ross just by the Gold River because the Gold River, um, you know, pretty much if you follow the Gold River, then you'll end up in New Ross. Mm-hmm. And so with that, um, that triangle shape you see there, uh, 
that to me either looked like the all-seeing eye, so a Masonic symbol, mm -hmm. or the broad head arrow mark, the British mark. Yeah, and I remember you mentioning that too. Yeah, so explain that to us a little bit, because you were you know, before we started the show, you had briefly talked about that, and it was fascinating. Go ahead and let us know what you uh, about that broad head arrow. Well, you see, the broad head arrow was a mark that was used by the British from the 1300s on. Mm -hmm. And I think its first um, documented arrival was in the 1320s when it was actually placed on cargo um, aboard the British ships. Mm -hmm. So pretty much everything British military um, from that time on was marked with a broadhead arrow mark. So every musket, every bayonet, every pick, shovel, axe and spade, um, even the nails had that broadhead arrow mark oh. on it. And there's a particular shipwreck in Halifax Harbour, actually. It's the Tribune. And you will even see, um, it's a French wreck that was captured by the British and um, sent back to Southampton uh, for refitting in Portsmouth mm -hmm. and then came back um, and was sent to Nova Scotia. And she wrecked in Halifax Harbour in the late 1700s. And you can even tell on that wreck the difference between the French nails and the British nails because even the nails have the broadhead arrow mark on wow. Wow. So people say, well, where would you mark nail? But it's on the reverse side of the head. Oh, you okay. wouldn't mark it on top of the head because if you bash you, it. Right, you'd be hammering exactly. it and smash it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's underneath. And so, wow. again, um, you know, uh, guests on board my charter boat, I actually show them, you know, uh, the broad hair arrow mark on one of the nails from, oh, wow. from those French wrecks off the coast. of. And, of course, that marking it being property of the king, is that what that was for? That's exactly, because if you were caught in possession of it, you were stealing from the king, and that was treason. Mm -hmm. And as I mentioned before, if you look back at the American Revolution as well, you know, um, this talk of the uh, the Battle of Bunker Hill with the white pine flag, you know, the, the pine tree on the flag. Right, right. And that also stemmed from this very thing, is that the British Navy in those days, um, any tree worthy enough of being a ship's mast or, or ship's planking was marked with that broadhead arrow mark. And so it started off, um, I think it was for two-foot diameter trees. It was illegal for the residents of Massachusetts to cut them down, you know, for their building houses and things because it was earmarked for the British military for, for masts and for, right. for ships planking. And so with that, the diameter got smaller and smaller as the number of trees got smaller and smaller. Mm -hmm. And so that was, um, again, you know, one of, the, uh, one of the triggers for the Revolutionary War there was, was because of that. So the, the sailors in those days sailing around Oak Island or Nova Scotia or, or the northern U.S., you know, if they saw a tree worthy enough of being a ship's master planking would go ashore and mark it with that broadhead arrow mark. Right. If you get back to England, then um, you will actually see that that mark, that broadhead arrow mark or ordnance mark, is on the um, even on the old road stones and road Oh, marks. really? Wow. To this day. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I see. I had that. That's that's why I love this stuff because I'm learning so much, and I had no idea that that was the case. And in you know marking even them marking the trees during the American Revolution, marking the trees saying these belong to the king, and or you know, uh, I had no idea. I mean, I heard about that, but I mean, honestly, the, the really the the details of that were, I never knew that. That's fascinating. Yeah. So oh, if, you've got a, if you've got yeah. an old rifle, you know, an old Enfield or something like that, mm -hmm. check it out, and you'll okay. see. You'll see that, you know, even a bayonet. I've I've got a bayonet here from one as well. That you, yeah, that mark is on everything. As a kid growing up in England, mm -hmm. my whole family were military, 
So um, my grandfather used to take me um, down to Hawley Lake and the, the shooting range down there. And you could, the broadhead arrow mark was everywhere. Wow. See, that's, that's fascinating. Right. I had no idea. Ernie, I got a question about the swamp. Are you surprised at what they found? Because I know you've been in there an awful lot. It's never been really looked at before in 200 and some odd years. I mean, it's just been there. And Fred Nolan was the first one I could think of that said, hey, there's got to be something going on here. So are you surprised they have found so much? No, I'm, I'm not, Jack. Uh, I always thought the swamp um, held a key or, or held something. It's, your people will always pick the low-hanging fruit. Mm-hmm. You know? And so if you, if you go back to the whole story of, um, of Oak Island and the, and the guys in 1795, you know, coming ashore, seeing the oak tree with a block and tackle and a depression in the ground, I mean, the low-hanging fruit there was that, you know, the depression where they started digging. Mm-hmm. You know, was anybody going to jump in a swamp and start swimming around in the mud and the muck and the eels and the, you know, crap? You, know, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> you are right there, but yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, well, I mean, it takes a certain kind of stupid. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> so, yeah, and so no, I've I've always thought the swamp was was a was a great place, and um, you know, it's now it's just it's just mind blowing the stuff that that is is coming up. Oh, absolutely, yeah, it really is. There's there's been so many discoveries, and that was the thing. <clears throat> you know, we thought that was pretty funny because Rick was always one that wanted to really dig the swamp. He wanted those answers, and he knew there was more more to it than you know, at the, in the early seasons, what met their eye on that. So he was very adamant about wanting to continue with it. And Marty was always the one as I'm done with the swamp. I, I don't want to keep you right off the swamp. And Rick was like, no, we can't. And they almost, you know, and again, you know, they've, they've alluded to the fact that they don't always get along, you know, about or agree, I should say, agree about every thing that we see on the show, because we've heard them talk about, well, you know, we did kind of butt heads over that particular thing. Uh, and there's one of those issues with the swamp going on. And then you know, it was funny to see just this season uh, where they found when they started finding the the paved roadway down in the southeast corner and uncovering that and that possible ship swarf that, uh, again, we haven't seen much on that. But he had made a comment about the fact that that he was joking back to Rick going, I told, I, I told you all the time that there's more to this swamp than just that. And Rick just busted up. It was so funny that... You know, because he switched roles on him real quick on that, you know, when he was the one that hated the swamp for all these years. But now it is showing us so much more that has taken place on this island than we ever knew before. And, uh, you know, finding the um, the different pieces and things that the lock and stuff like that that they found there is just fascinating. And again, here you are, you know, and I, and I had to show this picture because there you are covered in muck. Um, you know, all over the back of your uh, regulator and everything. It's all over everything. And I've got another little picture here. There you are in the in the muck. <laughs> and you're basically floating around on your belly and you're digging around and all this stuff is hanging off the back of the regulator. And it's like, I, this has to be like the worst place you've ever had to dive, isn't it? I mean, no. 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 <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, you've got to think that when people throw things away, like you know, if somebody's going to throw evidence away, they're never going to throw it in a clear pond. True. You know, they're always True. going to throw it in a sewer or a sewer pond. Yeah. 
and then because they think no fool is going to get in there and go looking for right them. exactly yeah. and then comes along guys like me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, sure no, no, it's definitely not the worst place but i mean the thing there is some people go oh yeah why are you wearing dive gear in a swamp oh. well, the thing is when you get through the mud you know it looks like you're just lying on the top of the mud there. So you, you flop into the mud, but then you reach down and you find a, a root or something and you pull yourself deeper and deeper and deeper down. Mm -hmm. And so that's where it gets kind of dodgy is, you know, when you get down, you're in the roots there and you get caught up a bit. Or if it's in the spring and um, you've got the frogs and the little snakes around you and all that sort of stuff as well. So, you know, eels, it's, you know, it's again not for the faint-hearted. No, but. apparently not. Yeah, it, you yeah. Know, it's funny because I and I kept this next picture here. Have you you got out of the water and then you yes. see Rick and Marty jumped into the. <laughs> and you know, first Rick was in there first, and he was you know, and then Marty said something about, "I suppose you want me to get in." And Rick's like, "Yeah," and so he jumped in there too. And then here you are holding the uh, metal detector, and those guys are rooting around pulling pulling muck out i guess they were trying to get underneath the muck or something was that the what they were trying to do there yeah well that area there was was kind of tricky as well because that area there um you might remember that's where i was probing with the um with the metal probe yes yes and so that's right back then um that's where by accident um i found that um paved area up in the um in the northern part of the swamp there and so we didn't know what it was. Right. And um, Marty even said to me later on, he's like, I, I thought you were just playing around. He goes, I, I had no idea that, you know, it was going to be so substantial. And and I had no idea either. I could just feel the drop off with the pro. Right. And it wasn't until season six that yeah. we, we really looked at that. Right. Now, I know there was a portion in this. It may be right around the same time, but you had pulled up a couple of very flat rocks. And yes. They were wondering, you know, what the suspense was building because, oh, what's he bringing up? What's he bringing up? And it was a flat rock. And you had two or three of them that you brought up and showed them. Is and that, that, that was that from that area. Yeah, that okay. was from the paved area. Yeah. And I and I call it Nolan's Peninsula. And I know that's not probably what it's called, but it's little, Nolan's little road that comes partly out on the eastern bank there into the swamp area. And that was that rock feature that was north of that. Correct. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Correct. yeah. So, yeah, and I was wondering exactly where that was featured. And you're right. It was like season six or seven when they actually started to uncover that and uh, and realize that when you actually, you know, found it back in this early. I think this was, uh, I don't know what season this was. Uh, I don't know if it was season two or season think, one even. Right I think here. it was one or two, yeah. Yeah, But yeah. again, it's a, it's a fresh set of eyes on things as well. And also... You know, you, you can't attack everything at one go. Mm -hmm. you know, and, I mean, this is where the, the team has been phenomenal. You know, they'll they'll focus on, on one thing and they'll go at that, and you've got a limited time to do it. Mm -hmm. I mean, at the moment you're looking um, out the window here and you have ice on the ocean. Right. So, I mean, none of us are going to go swimming around the, the swamp when it's covered in ice. Right. You know, unless you cut ice holes through it. You know? I, and, yeah. Speaking of ice holes... <laughs> Yeah. That's one of Deidre's favorite things, talking about ice holes, ice holes, ice oh, holes everywhere. Oh, okay, yes. yes yeah, yes. and she, it was those, and and I did want to bring that up. It was a good segue into that. Uh, those ice holes. The only place ice should be is in your drinks, guys. There's something wrong here. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> 
Yep. And so, uh, but you know, Deidre brought that up at Deidre White and I, and I did too, you know, talking about those, those three or those four, I think it was like four ice holes that were forming and Dan Blankenship originally saw them as far as we know anyway, on the show. And, and, and we, we were thinking right off the bat, Oh, this is because there was warm water coming up and melting the ice right there. And then there was a portion of a show right there about that same time where you had gone out and you went, I think you were actually diving, looking for those, uh, those to see if there was anything there. But we didn't hear much about that. Do you remember any of that? And was there anything ever found? Or is that just an anomaly that just happens? Well, no, it, it happens in a lot of places, Jim. Okay. And so there's certain reasons for it. And it's not, um, believe it or not, it's not warm water coming out. It's fresh water. Mm, and so oh, it's a freshwater okay. spring or resurgence. And it's a common thing used around wharves or docks um, in UK, Scotland, here, Norway. And so it's a bubbling type system. And what it does is it stops the water from freezing by, by aerating it. Mm -hmm. So, and it's the same thing here is around that South shore side. And um, you can have a freshwater spring bubbling up that'll stop ice forming on the top. Okay. Because okay. It's, it's a constant movement of water. Right. And so, but then you, then you go down another rabbit hole. And that rabbit hole could be, well, are they freshwater springs or are they um, entrances to or from the flood tunnels? See, that's so, what we were talking about. That's what we were hoping for anyway. Oh, this is tied to the money pit or a flood tunnel in some way. But and so when you're not. diving on the southern side of the island by the South Shore <laughs> Cove there, mm -hmm. you do actually see these areas, these clear sand areas. And again, guests on my, my charter boat have been able to, on, on very clear days, which has happened, they've been able to look over the side and actually see these clear patches. Ah, okay. Oh, okay. Makes total sense. Yeah, that makes sense. So that, so chances are it's not some sort of a, uh, uh, a leading, a path leading or a tunnel or a hole or a, whatever you want to call it, leading to the money pit. It's more of a natural phenomenon that's... Uh, well, maybe, but um, without excavating it, we, we right. wouldn't... Right. And to do that, then you're in the same boat. Well, if you want to excavate in the ocean, the permitting process is, is huge because then are you disturbing a fish habitat? Right. You know, you know, what sort of damage are you doing? Right. And that's and that leads me right into the and a grant again, a great segue into one of the other questions that we had. This one, um, Linda and I were talking about this, you know, talking about these underwater permits. We've seen you time and time again go diving out there. There was a portion of a show where you went out and were looking for this anomaly they found. Was, um, this was a few seasons back, um, but it was supposedly like a triangle shaped rock that was underwater. And I believe it was you and either Alex or Jack had dove on it. Um, and you went down there and you were able to say, okay, yep, here's a rock. It's covered with all this vegetation, vegetation, but we can't, we can't touch it. We're not allowed to remove this. And all, of course, all of us are watching the show going, no, pull all that stuff off and get a look at that rock, but you can't do that. Is there ever a point where you can get a permit to do that kind of thing? I mean, is that just something that's out of reach or what? Um, again, you know, it gets difficult in the fact that if, if you're going down and, and um, you, you find something, you know, say um, one of the missing pay ships for Fort Lewisburg, you know, and it's got millions of dollars on it, you know, then or millions of, you know, of, of uh, francs of, of, of gold or, or whatever it's got on it, mm -hmm. then the idea is that it's, it's meant to be protected on the bottom. Right. You know? But uh, the, as Jack mentioned before, you know, in reality, 
you know, every year is getting pounded by the ocean, you know, and Mother Nature is destroying it. So, you know, to, to get an archaeological permit to, to go out there and, and you know, do a, you know, do a proper archaeological survey of it and mm -hmm. retrieve stuff for, you know, the museum would be a great idea. But the governments don't have money for that. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, the private sector, you know, if treasure hunting was allowed here, then, you know, maybe that would be, you know, something that they they could look at so without opening a can of worms here i mean myself and you know um a couple of archaeologists we're of the opinion that you know we'd have a better result up here if if treasure hunters and archaeologists worked as a, a collaborative team mm -hmm. because what we've got at the moment is just stupid it's unworkable you know right. so we've got treasure sitting off the coast here yeah you know, it's just getting destroyed every year and right. you know and all all it ends up is you know, either it'll wash up on shore and somebody will, you know, somebody will have a great find or, right. you know, who in their right mind is going to go out snorkeling and swim across a pile of gold coins and go, that's a nice pile of gold coins. I think I'll leave those there and report them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah. And that's, and that's a shame really, like you said, because there's so much out there that we'd love to know about. And, um, you know, and, and we wonder, you know, we see it on the show that, you know, you're, and again, this happened in season eight, which you, you were out there with the metal detector and you were getting a hit between a couple of rocks. And yet, you know, well, if we really want to get a look at that, we're going to have to get permits. And so it's kind of a letdown for us going, oh man, we really wanted to see what's going on there. And that's something that's maybe, uh, impossible to obtain. Um, we are getting, I'm looking at the clock here and I usually cut these short at about two hours or cut them off at about two hours. We've got about 20 minutes to go and we've hardly touched on, well, we've touched on a few of the questions that some of the people have had. And I know you sent me some pictures too, um, that, uh, you know, we haven't even touched on. And this is what happens every time we get these shows going and there's just so much wonderful information that, you know, time just flies by on us and we, and we never really got a chance to, uh, get to everything that we wanted, unfortunately, but, um, I did want to talk real quick about, and I'm going to show this picture real fast, um, and then we can just kind of explain. You did find this, uh, what we were told was a 17th century plank that was found. Uh, you found this out there in the swamp, uh, and then you brought it up, and then, of course, there's a picture of Jack helping you get it up on the beach. You, do you Obviously, you remember this. Was it your opinion this was from a ship or something? At, uh, what do you remember? I don't necessarily think it was a ship's plank. Um, you know, it, it just doesn't have the, the, the width, um, mm. of the timber for that, but, um, definitely could have been an internal, um, partition or, or part ah, of, maybe. um, maybe, um, you know, down in the cargo area for separation of cargo, for separation of animals, mm -hmm. you know, and the crazy thing is it's, it's not uncommon here to, to find shipwreck timbers washed up. Okay. So again, this is where we get into the, the, the thing was it from a ship that sailed into that lagoon area in the northeastern side of what we call the swamp now, which would have been a deeper lagoon back then? Right. Mm -hmm. so did the ship come in and get broken up and, as I said before, maybe you know, sealed up a cave system there? Or you know, maybe it was destroyed to, to hide the evidence? You know? And other people say, well, why destroy a good ship? But you know, if it was a dog, if it had been damaged in a storm, you know, and they wanted yep. to get rid of the evidence. And again, to play devil's advocate, you know, some people think that um, Blackbeard actually rode his ship, the Queen's Anne Revenge, up into the shallows so it would get stuck, so he could coordinate and consolidate his crew onto the other vessels. 
because the Queen oh, Anne's wow. River was the largest of his vessels. Mm -hmm. So with that plank, um, I don't know for sure. You know, and another possibility is that it was from a shipwreck offshore and that a storm picked it up and threw it into that area as well. Mm -hmm. So many theories. It's a typical Oak Island. It's more theories and more questions oh. and less answers. <laughs> you know what? Everything, Jack, everything we turn up, is, it's not so much of an answer. It's just another question. Yeah, and yeah. That happens all the time. And, yeah. I mean, with with the South Shore Beach area, I mean, I know you've got a couple of photos there, uh, Jeff. So you got South Shore there, one that's labeled South Shore. So oh, that okay. there is um, what the South Shore area looks like on a nice day. And uh, you'll actually see um, part of the Money Pit area there. And so, so that's what a nice day there will look like. And then obviously you've seen the breaking ice and that that we've got at the moment. Okay. So, oh, here we go. Yeah. Let's I, I found the page. It took me a moment. Sorry about that. Yeah. There's the South shore. So, you know, that's a nice day on the South shore coast side. So, you know, great diving day, you know, again, the sunrise, it's nice and early in the morning. And, but again, it can change so quickly. So there's another one there of the fog coming in. And um, I think it's, uh, oh, see, yes, well done, Jeff. <laughs> ah, a good click, a lucky click there. But, yeah, there it is. Yeah. We're looking so, at the uh, the fog. So you're looking at Squid Island, Mesh Island, and Round Island there, and that large fog bank moving in. Wow. And so, you know, that's just sneaking up on you like that. And um, so then if you look at the bad weather one down the bottom there, uh, let's see. Um, I might have to let me let me back out real quick because I don't know if it's the next one. Let's see. Uh, oh, here's a, here's one of a looks like a, a a sailboat. Oh yes. So that's again that's Squid Island. Uh -huh. But now you you've got nothing else. The whole lot in the background there. The fog has moved in that quickly. Wow. Let me see if I can find that other one real quick. Bear with me just a moment. Let's see. So that one's just off South Shore Beach there as well, off by the Money Pit area. Oh, there's so one. You can, you can change in a matter of a couple of hours. The weather can completely change on you that quickly. Uh, it can, Jack. And that's what happened to me and um, uh, that's happened to me and Jack out there and me and Alex out there. You know, some days it's great. And then other days it's like, oh, my God, this is a great diving day, guys. Let's Let's go diving. Yeah, but they've got assets tied up all over the place with other stuff, and it's just not the day to dive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, so again, I, there's a lot of things I can do, but I can't control Mother Nature. No. Right. Let's see. There's one here of a sun. The sun. Is this one of the ones you were talking about? Oh, that's that's the sunrise um, just outside my house here. So oh, you can, wow! You can see it reflecting on the ice in the bay at the moment. And you get to look at this every day. I that's that's what I get to look at every day. Oh, that's oh, that's awesome. I I envy you in that right there because I love the water. I I uh you know being in the Navy and and being up around Lake Superior and Lake Michigan and all that over the years, I just love the water so much. But uh, that's fascinating that you. I'm very jealous that you get to see that every single day. Yeah, you uh, just got to get other... your sorry ass out of bed at five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, exactly right. Let's see. Um, I'm trying to find the other picture you might have had on that. There's some there's some pictures here that you had, uh, and I'll bring this up here real quick. Looks like you and a buddy having some uh, coffee there in the morning. Oh, the that's, that's my other skipper. That's um, Skipper Ken. 
Um, he's also the genius that um, put together that ROV that we were using off the coast the other year. Oh, okay. So, yeah, oh. it's an amazing piece of kit. So it's an ROV that's actually got a metal detector on board. It's got um, sonar. It's got a thing called USBL. So it's um, GPS that works underwater. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people say, well, how can that be? You know, there's no satellites underwater. But what it is, is it's got a, a wireless transducer you hang over the side. So mm-hmm. there's a signal that goes between the wireless transducer and the, um, and the, uh, and the ROV. And that's mm-hmm. what gives you your, your position. So even if it goes into an underwater cave, by it talking back to the transducer, you can see in real time where it is. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, so he's an absolute genius. He's a, he's a great guy. And so, yeah, he's, he's my other skipper. He's my, one of my preferred dive buddies. He's awesome. He really is. And then here you are finding, it looks like you're finding a treasure here somewhere. Oh, my God. You weren't meant oh. to show that one. That's the Oak Island treasure found. <laughs> and it was a pirate. Look at him. You got, and it was pirate. a pirate chest, too. <laughs> Where are you at? Where is this at? Oh, that's um. That's if you can tell us without having to kill us for te- you know telling well, us. Well, you know what? No, maybe I should. Maybe, yeah, maybe I'll wait until you you come up to that point. <laughs> that's okay. Fantastic. We can do that. <laughs> what else we got? Oh, here's another picture. You were in the uh, the cold weather gear there, and where's this uh, off of? That's uh... Isaac's Point there. Isaac. Okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So that's Smith's Cove. All right. And um, so that day, um, we were actually, uh, me and Ken were using the ROV just off the shore there. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't that long ago. And um, that was, thank God, after the wind picked up and um, broke the ice up. So the ice actually came and solidified around our boat that day. Oh, so the, uh, the ROV cable, we had to keep breaking the ice. To- <laughs> so when, it, about, uh, I mean, how long ago was it? Was this like recently? Couple yeah. of this year, yeah. oh, wow. we've, okay. we've got we got ice out there at the moment, but the wind's changing direction now. So mm-hmm. I'm guessing by later on this afternoon, this evening, um, the ice in the bay will will break up. And we had a storm here a couple of years ago, um, an easterly that uh, broke the ice in the bay up and threw a piece the size of the car at my wharf, and snapped an eight by eight timber like it was a toothpick, like that. Really? Wow! Wow! Yeah. Oh, here's a yeah. Here's another picture. Uh, this, you've uh, again. You're having some. I don't know. Is that a is that a hot toddy you're having there, or maybe no, just a just a cup <laughs> of tea? Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you got the the hat. I love the hat. You know, those are that's a great hat you're wearing there to keep warm in. But that's uh, that's fantastic. So this must have been on that same day when you were working with the ROV, I assume. Yeah. Well, as my friends, you see, when I moved to Nova Scotia. A lot of them said, Nova Scotia, wear the fox hat. <laughs> so, so that's the fox hat. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. I love that. And then, uh, oh, Walter. Yes. It's Walter. So oh. you spent some time with Walter around there, eh? Yes. Doug, that was Doug Kroll was out that day. And um, mm-hmm. that was something like you said before about the sharks. So I was uh, I was doing a dive, and you might see something I've marked just behind my head there with a, a buoy and a flag on it. Oh, yeah, yeah, I see it right here. It is, yep, right there. Yep. And um, so Doug thought he'd play a bit of a trick and threw Walter in with the, uh, the shark's fin on his head. 
That was hilarious. You know, that that helped us so much get through the winter months is looking at the pictures that Doug was putting up of Walter going around and seeing the different things. That just, that just shows the kind of character he is. It's, it was hilarious. And we're, we were hoping to see Walter come back, uh, you know, off-season, I guess. It'll have to be off-season when uh, you guys will be uh, filming again once the show is done this year. But uh, So that was really fun. <laughs> and oh, what's this one here? You got to tell us about this picture here. Uh, that's the naming of um, one of my charter boats. That's Bayside Bell. All my boats are something Bell. So we got Island Bell, Bayside Bell, Ocean Bell. And so when you name a boat, you've got a christening. So, right, um, right. so we have a, a big christening ceremony at the Oak Island Resort, like you were talking about before, Jim. Yes, yes. So the Oak Island Resort is a marvelous place to base yourself of if, if you're coming up this way. So we're so fortunate to have that. And the many, many beautiful B and Bs around the Mahone Bay area as well. Yeah, this is neat. I love, I love the shorts and then the, you know the suit coat and tie up on top. Yeah, that's <laughs> and this is exactly how I would imagine to see you do this. You know, <laughs> just knowing you from the show and talking to you, this is exactly what I would expect. <laughs> and those, and those got to be, you know, these are the 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 boats that you're taking the tours in. I mean, that's that's pretty luxury right there. A lot of luxury in those nice couches and everything. It's, I mean, that's. That's They're not very, very comfortable. So it looks like a pontoon boat, Jeff, but it's actually not. It's a triton. So triton. they're like ocean-going pontoons. Oh wow! So, so it has three. It has three sections underneath. Correct. Yeah. Okay. And it's got um instead of like a pontoon boat might have a forty horse. Mm -hmm. This has got a hundred and fifty. Oh, nice! So it can get up and move a little bit. Yeah. So you can actually water ski behind this thing. Oh, so really? Wow. It's a completely different creature to a pontoon boat, and so but it's got the stability. And the safety, you know, to carry passengers on the ocean. So you can literally have water flowing right across the decks here, and it's perfectly okay. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah, so super stable, super comfortable. Yep, and that's the way to go. I mean, how I, can I ask how many? How many do you have in your fleet right now? Um, well, I did have a lot more. Obviously, COVID um, hammered that down. Uh, so I have three boats at the moment, and depending on what this year looks like, I may end up with two. Um, but if things open up, I might end up with four or five. I don't right. know. It's yeah. you know, the crystal. Where's where your status right now, Tony, up there with COVID? Yeah, how's things looking with COVID right now? Um, we were really good. We were having like one new case a day. And oh, so there's our snow at the Oak Island Resort with um, Oak Island in the distance. So you got Oak Island looking out over Oak Island. So this is Oak Island over here? No, that's um, that's oh. actually Frog Island. That's okay. behind so the trees. Okay. Exactly, okay. Jeff. So that's Oak Island there. Wow. So a lot of the fans that come up and stay at the resort or do the Oak Island tour, um, that's the view they get from the resort up there. So they can go and have a martini or a drink or um, or a lunch on the deck and overlook Oak Island there as well. Oh, that's awesome. And it's called the Oak Island Resort. And I believe that's the website for that is oakislandresort.com, is it not? Oak Island Resort and Conference Center, yeah. In Conference Center, yeah. So if anybody's interested in that, look that up. And we certainly hope that things open up this year and that you are uh, able to do that. And you and I, you know, we've chatted back and forth and talking about this. Uh, um, I would love very much to, and I will at some point, if it's not this season, it's going to be next year or when things get around to opening up again, to come up and do a boat tour. Um, I'd almost rather do that than I would get, well, yes, I would like to go on an island too and get walk around in the island, but those are really hard to get. And I would imagine that when things are happening pretty well for you, that you know, probably getting booking one of your tours is probably hard to do as well, um, just because they would fill up so quickly. 
but you and I have talked about that and going out and having a, you know, doing, I want to do the sea tour, salty dog sea tours. And I've got my, I've got my hat right here. You know, oh, thank, you so I, yeah. thank you so much, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, you got you got to support the swag, and that's oh, absolutely right. Yeah. I've got to get one of those. I know I didn't get one for Jack. I'm sorry, I should have. I know I, you, I, you can have that salty dog mugs as well. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, Tony. So yeah. if you, you go to my website, saltydogtours.com, and okay. then click on the merch button, you can you can actually dress yourself in salty dog attire as well. Yes. So we, that's we'll my that's me and my co-skipper. That's co-skipper Izzy. So she um she co-narrates with me. That's my daughter. So wow. um quite often oh, she, she'll come out on the boat and she loves treasure hunting and oh, she man. um knows all about the history and the mystery of Oak Island. And so what's great there is my guests that come up that have kids of their own. Um, they actually learn about the mystery and the history and the um history of Nova Scotia and the shipwrecks through another child's eyes as well wow see now that's so cool now, she's, she's eyes. yeah yeah exactly and she's going to end up being you know taken over of just being your your you know, like you said your first mate uh that's awesome now is she interested in would she like to get into diving as well sometime she certainly would yep she um she hasn't dove yet using um dive gear but um mm -hmm. we were actually snorkeling down the dominican and she actually got to snorkel down with me and, and go down and, and get it right up and close and personal to a shark. Oh, my and then, goodness. Um, when COVID broke out, we were actually on the Great Barrier Reef. So she was actually snorkeling with me offshore on Milne Reef. So we had the sharks and the rays and all that around us. Wow. I mean, what an opportunity for her. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, you and I talked about what a gig to have and things are. And, and again, I, I hope that this ride for you continues on for as long as you want it. Um, but what a great ride for you, but also for her to be able to grow up in this atmosphere and be able to experience this with you. That's got to be fascinating for you and just uh, feel so you know proud to be able and, and have her be interested in it as well. I mean, that's, what more could you ask for, right? Oh, honestly, Jeff, you're so true. And, and what happened the other day, it was amazing, was my buddy Bill Smith, um, my, my mate that knows uh, all the Peter Easton history, he mm -hmm. came around and was talking about um, some China um, from the bottom of the ocean from uh, the 1850s. Mm -hmm. And um, before he mentioned the date, he, uh, he showed the picture. And Izzy's like, oh, by the, by the dress of the women, I think that's around this 1870s, <laughs> uh, which blew him away. And he's like, wow. oh, I don't know a kid that, that, that knows that <laughs> sort of stuff. And See, so, you're teaching her right, right there. Yes. And for her to have a mind for history, I mean, that's just, wow. Yeah, she's, just a, she's a she's an absolute she's got a she's a sponge for history she can name all the kings and queens of england really um, yep all the way all the way back to um uh yeah. to 1066 wow now you being from england has she been over there yet have you no that again cruel twist of fate that's where we were meant to be now oh okay yeah you know, it's just things will get better one day and um yeah, and, they will. and yeah, we'll all be traveling again and you know, the beauty of it is, is that my, my crazy summers are seven days a week. So she gets to hang out with me on the boat. Oh, that's but cool. When the season's done, then that's our time to play. Right. Right. And I, and I would kind of wondered about that too, you know, with the, when the, when you're starting and, and hopefully uh, COVID allowing, you know, you guys will be firing up here just in not too long, not only with your business, Salty Dog Sea Tours, but also 
on things happening on Oak Island. And, and so I, I kind of wondered for you, I, I wondered to myself, I said, well, how, how does he, you know, you want to take people out on tours and you have other skippers that can do that. Um, take people out on tours, but I'm sure you really like doing that as well. So you can talk to people and meet people and take them around as yourself. That balance between, Oh, we need you on the Island today. Oh, we're going to, Oh, you don't need me today. I can work on, you know, sea tours a little bit. It's got to pull you back and forth quite a bit. I would imagine. Yeah, we, we try and plan very, very well. Mm-hmm. And we look at the weather windows, what we want to do, what the tide's going to be doing at the time. So we know, you know, the year in advance, you know, when it's going to be high tide here or low tide. Right. And if we've had a, a week of, of a certain wind pattern or weather pattern, it's like, okay, you know, that's going to be a good week, you know, that we, we could be looking at doing something there. And it's the same as when we had the cofferdam at Smith's Cove, mm-hmm. you know, the silt screen um, that, that was around the cofferdam. So everybody right. looked at the cofferdam, but they, they don't realize to do that. The, with a, Like you said before, Jeff, the permitting process, we had to have a silt screen on the outside of that. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that was a, just a nightmare, you know, because every time we had a storm, a hurricane, or yep. a, north, a northerly wind, it was just getting pounded. Yep. So, you know, I, I was literally had my running around with my fingers crossed going, please, no northerlies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so how close do you get to the eye when you're on your cruise? I saw... A video oh, where you know, Charles you know, came out talking to you. It looked like you could just go, all reach out and touch each other. Um, we go right up to the island, Jack. And, in fact, um, one of the most marvelous things, and, again, it just speaks to the friendship and the camaraderie. Um, I pulled up to uh, Smith's Cove. Uh, sorry, actually, the South Shore Cove side. And um, I had a, a couple of military um, friends on board. And um, I had a uh, another young couple from Ottawa. And um, I hear this, Tony, Tony. And I'm looking around. I can't see anything. And then all of a sudden, um, I see this black thing bobbing in the water. And it was Marty's head. And Uh Marty was out for a swim. So he (laughs) swam out to the boat and got on board and just sat there and started talking to the the group I had on board. Man, that's fascinating. How how lucky would that be? You know, I brought this one up on our show on Wednesday night. I do a recap show on Wednesday nights of of the show that's on Tuesday night. We recap it on Wednesday night. And, of course, this week they had the drilling down with Maddie Blake again. And and I thought I brought this picture up because, you know, you and Maddie were on the boat together. And and then these lucky guests. And, and I said to everybody, I said, how lucky would it be? to be one of these guests to say, oh, yeah, we're going to take you out on the boat today, and, and I'm going to be your skipper, not only that, but also we got Maddie Blake here. And then as you're going around and explaining things to him, you pull up by the beach, and there's, you know, there's him walking right out there on the beach with you going, hey, how you doing? So you get to meet Doug as well. It's like, this is crazy. I think that's Scott, isn't it? No, it's, it's either. Uh, I can't tell. I think it's Doug Crawl, or, yeah, it's come walking out on the beach there. Yeah. Charles usually comes down. Charles. And says no, that's right. It is. It's Charles Barkhouse. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So Charles usually comes down, says hello, and and yep. um. So which is fantastic for my guests. It really is. Yeah. So again, it it just it's it speaks to the camaraderie and 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 just fascinating. They, phenomenal guys. They really are. Yep. But again, you can see what a, exactly what you said, Jeff. What a fantastic experience that was for well, the day I had Maddie on the boat there as well. Yeah. And how long? The same as when Gary's been on the boat and Jack's been on the boat. You know, people get so excited. Yeah, 
and, and all of us would. And that's something that I, we're right at two hours now. So we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. But again, that would be the, the pinnacle for me. Um, you know, I had planned to take mom out to the Island, uh, you know, a couple, uh, a year ago, basically we were going to get tickets for that and that didn't happen, but, and then everything else going on. So hopefully I can get out there. And I've been, I've told our members, I said, I, I put this word out. I've said it probably too many times now on the, on the air, but I said, Hey, let's get a group together. If we have a travel agent in our membership out here, let's get that travel agent, start working some deals. When things open up, we'll take a big group of us over to over to uh, get Salty Dog Sea Tours. We'll all take a tour, and then we'll all head over to the Mug and Anchor afterwards. We're going to have a pint, and I told you I'd buy you a pint. The first round's on me. <laughs> I told everybody that shows up, I said, well, I'll buy the first round. You got to get there on your own. I'm not paying for your trip, but you got to get there on your own. Well, we'll go out on the boat. We'll spend a day out with Tony on the boat. Over to the mug and anchor, we'll have a pint over there, and we'll just have a wonderful time. And so, I yes. and many people say, "I'd love to go." Oh, well, there's actually a big, uh, there's actually a trip I offer as well, Jeff. So we we leave the resort on the boat. Mm -hmm. We go around Oak Island. We talk about the mystery and the history and the treasure and artifacts, and then we cruise between the other islands and Mahone Bay uh, and yeah. end up at the mug and anchor pub. See, that's the one I uh, want. That's, that's the, the one you want. want. <laughs> that's what i want yeah. i don't care you know like i said i can't pay for everybody else but i'm paying for me and and we gotta i'd love to jack and linda if we can get everybody to oh, go, uh, to go phenomenal to be able to come out there and actually meet you in person but uh, uh man this has been fantastic i did have one last picture that i wanted to show um before we go but i i tell you this has been phenomenal to be able to have you here with us today tony and i, I what a treat for us i'm so honored uh, that you would oh, take your time out of your day today like oh, this. It is an honor. It is. And, and to come on and speak with us and uh, uh, let us know some of your history. And I know the fans, there's so many comments. If you get a chance, and I ask this of everybody that we have on the show, if you get an opportunity um, in your free time, I know you got dinner tonight with the family and I got to get you out of here before you get in trouble. Um, but to go back at some point and then look over, there's been so much chat go by. If you get an opportunity to kind of look and maybe answer some questions, people were answering questions that we weren't taking, but if you have that opportunity to let them, you know, maybe answer a few, that would be awesome. And they would love that of you to do that. But one last picture that I wanted to show, and this is, uh, this is, uh, one that, uh, uh thanks to, uh, uh, Deidre and Dustin, um, yeah. And the mighty Tony Stanson, Lord of the Swamp and Sea, the trading oh, cards. You are, you are not only are you a world famous Scott <laughs> Crusoe type diver uh, going around and finding shipwrecks and things of that nature, but you are also the Lord <laughs> of the Swamp and Seas right there. I'm telling you, that's just fantastic. Oh, we love God. you very much. Dustin and Deidre are amazing. They really are. <laughs> oh, they are. <laughs> that's yeah. great yeah it's good times i tell you what that's they're they are a lot of fun and they're good friends of us uh in this group here and we just love them to death but uh i had to show that picture because i got a set of trading cards that were sent to me i didn't win them i tried to win them in their oh. trivia show they do and i didn't i i lose every time there's another guy in there jeff there's another jeff that beats me every time but um anyway i had to show this because i got these trading cards and that was just wonderful but i again Tony, I got to tell you, thank you uh, so much for oh, coming you on so, here with so us today. Um, and again, obviously, honestly, my pleasure. You, you know, we'd love to have at some point. We'd love to have you come back. I know you get super, super busy in the summer months. Um, so maybe, maybe sometime when things start to lighten up for you a little bit, 
uh, we could have you back on uh, again uh, down the road here a few months down the road and you can talk about some more things that were uh, you know shown in season eight now that season eight will be gone we can cover that kind of stuff but we certainly hope that you would love to you know be able to come back with us we'd love to have that happen so. and you never know i mean if um if i find the missing um part of the oak island treasure that's in the ocean then come and interview me in bermuda where i'll be sitting somewhere warm where there is no oh, ice boy. i'll be there <laughs> yeah i tell you what world famous and then you found the treasure yeah. what more could you ask for at that point right that's yeah. great. Well, thank you so much. And I got to say thank you to all of our members that have been here today. We had a lot of people that were watching. And then, of course, this stays recorded. It's it's broadcast on to Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch uh, all at the same time. So it's out on all three of those platforms. Um, but I can't thank our members enough to come out and watch this. And people will watch it continually over the next uh you whatever you know over the next year um and we just thank you so much for coming on and if you guys i want to throw this out there a little bit on my part if you are watching on youtube or if you watch it later on youtube please down there in the lower corner there's a subscribe button we really hope that you would subscribe to the channel and that way you get to know about new things coming out and when we put out a new show it tells you right away if you click the notification button we really appreciate that. And I love those subscribes because it really helps us out in the long run. But again, Tony, thank you so much. Jack, you, my co-host, thank you for thank being you. here. Linda Simpson working the chat out there. Yes, She's been working that. hard talking to people. But again, thank you so much, Tony. It's been fantastic. I loved my having pleasure, you here. And I hope to see you guys, God willing, up here later on in the season. Oh, I'm good. look forward to it. All right. Thank you very much.